Hi, and welcome to another episode of Radio Free Golgotha's glorious podcasting. Yes. Hi. Hello. <laughs> uh, we are trying an experiment today after a um, ill-fated Candlemas and a very large, very large, long episode that is actually in two parts right now that is being edited. Um, and I might cut this out anyway. Um, our experiment for today is that rather than predict the day of the saint we are talking on, we're going to try recording on the Feast of the Saint as an alternative to, oh my God, I have to get this edited, it has to be out today or it won't work. So um, we are both busy boys um, and also have a horrible problem of talking to each other a lot about things other than the podcast. So um, we are already cutting our own personal conversation short so that we can... <laughs> Do St. Mary of Egypt honor today. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't checked out our website at RadioFreeGolgotha.com, please do. Uh, we do have useful, fun links up there, including whatever tea I'm drinking and probably will have to write down. <laughs> uh, also know that uh, we do have notes, I believe, for at least the first episode. I and think they're finished. I don't know if they're up. We will have notes <laughs> on this and other episodes very soon. Mm -hmm. Um, but we finally cracked the hack or something on that. Mm -hmm. uh, happy spring to everyone. Uh, it is l halfway through Lent, roughly. Mm -hmm. No, a little bit late, more than halfway. Dear God, Lent's almost over. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Shows you that I am not here on this earth. Time this flies when you're in a desert. Time flies when you're being pursued by the devil. <laughs> so this episode today is going to be brought to you by predominantly... Mary of Egypt, for she is dear to, to Jesse's heart. And uh, I, I'm always happy to, to hear about saints that I don't necessarily know an awful lot about, uh, including this Mary. Uh, also, hopefully, we'll be touching upon uh, oud and aloes wood as our, our plant. Uh, we'll be talking about obsidian uh, as our, our stone, our mineral, um, hopefully extensively. This is, there's plenty to say about that. In theory, we'll be talking about the Tiresias as our dead magician. Uh, the Hermit is our tarot card. Uh, dirt Sorcery is our means of magic. And potentially we'll be talking about Kaka and Odi, mm -hmm. as well as the geomantic figures and the Odumeji uh, that uh, we'll be comparing and contrasting. Oh, yes, and uh, our Demon of the Week is Kiel from, or Kiel from the Grimorium Verum. And their corollary counterpart in Kimbanda, which is seven waterfalls. Sechegashweras. Mm -hmm. So starting with Mary, she is the patron of Lent, the great fast in Eastern Orthodoxy. Wow. Uh, she is a little bit lesser known in Catholicism, although her feast is today, April 3rd, which is why we are recording today. And uh, I think the interesting thing about her is that we know about her because of a priest meeting her later on in her life and going back the following year, I believe, and, and finding her uh, passed away, her finding her body and you know, burying her with the help of the passing lion, which I think is fantastic. But the a, story a, goes... A friend of the beasts kind of thing. Yes. Right. Um, and there is, a, there is a great doxology that's on YouTube that I'll link to uh, that explains the story of Mary of Egypt uh, sung in, I believe it's a Coptic style, uh, in English though, so you can actually hear the entire narrative chanted, uh, which is really beautiful. 
Uh, but she, I believe, was, I want to say, born in Alexandria. Um, and went to the Holy Land either as a prostitute or wanting to become a prostitute to seduce pilgrims um, because she was possessed of many demons and liked rolling in the mud. And when she got to the Holy Land after, you know, I think probably convincing a few people to, to, to go that way, uh, she tried to enter the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the image of the Theotokos, the image of Mary holding Jesus that is above the door in the entrance of the church, she could not pass it. And this provoked her. And she had a crisis of faith. And, you know, lo and behold, different versions. But she went into the desert with two and a half loaves of bread, which is depicted as three, and uh, some black cloth, and went out into the desert and was never seen again, except by this one priest later on in her life. And she was said that, or she is said to have fed on desert creatures and honey and, and dates and things like that, locusts. Um, the priest talked about how she could levitate, bilocate, walk across water. She is a desert mother. There are many desert fathers. There are not as many desert mothers. And her, the praise poems of her are, are really gorgeous. One of my favorite parts of one that I quote on the scroll that we have in the store for her is uh, what smells so awesome in the wilderness uh, as beautiful incense in a chest of the temple that Mary breathes with holiness she exudes. So it basically is saying, what's that smell? It's Mary. <laughs> um, but as for a woman in the desert, uh, you'd expect something horrific and, and uh, sun-drenched skin. But she is associated with sweet desert smells, specifically oud and honey and things like that that nourish. Um, she is considered an oasis of a saint. Mm. She does not reject anyone because she was so enraptured with what she thought was her purpose, which was to be a, a channel for lust mm. um, and to get her fill in that way, to be the repository. And instead, she became, I think it was... Um, Rather than finding her filth, she became. She went on an effort to find her peace, mm. which is what the Virgin Mary said to her at, at the at the Theotokos, which I think was cross the River Jordan and you will find peace. Enter the desert. Mm. Um, don't stay around people. That people are a distraction for you, and you have a greater purpose. Um, it is interesting that she, uh, when she saw the priest, she wanted communion. He comes back, and the the lion is the one that helps the priest bury her. So. She tames the beast within the carnal lust, which I think is interesting if we look at the Crowleyan mm -hmm. lust card or the strength card, the woman holding the lion's jaws. Right, through her chastity. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's similar. There's a, there's obviously some common language being spoken here uh, because it's with many saints. No idea if this saint actually existed, but the story has been beloved for a very long time and is an old, old story. Right, right. The, the sources are uh, mainly, it seems, all derived from St. Uh, Sophronius, mm -hmm. is that what it said? The Patriarch of Jerusalem, who's uh, 7th century. So not that much longer after her, like 200, 300 years is, is all. Yeah. Uh, Which in that time period, there were a lot of hermits in the desert. Like it wasn't unheard of. So the, the likelihood that this may actually be based on a real woman is, is much higher than the average saint story. Right. Uh, there is some contention that really she's just a conflation with Mary Magdalene and from some iconography. Uh, because of Mary Magdalene's 
uh, depiction of long hair that she washed Jesus' feet with, that some icons of Mary Magdalene do show her with feet down to the ankles but nude, which en enhances the, the reputation that she later gained and was kind of codified of being the holy harlot. Um, which was not as universal in the early church, right. that Mary of Egypt herself also wearing a hair shirt, that she's depicted often in icons floating above the desert with her hair as her only clothing, mm. which is um, pretty profound in that way. Mm. But going into the desert with three loaves, excuse me, three loaves and black cloth, I, I don't know, the reason why I like her is just she's so accepting. She doesn't turn anyone away. And there are a lot of saints where you there's this kind of need for someone to feel pure or feel like they have to be embarrassed by it. And, you know, the Virgin Mary is is often one of those ones that people still want to go to, but they, they hide from her in shame in traditional mythology. Like, let's put the kerchief over her while I'm changing so I don't want her to see me naked. Mary of Egypt has seen everything. And <laughs> she just doesn't care. Um, she's more interested and used and called on to help people refine themselves as the patron of Lent to kind of steer you away from your distractions. Like, how do you find your true north again? And I think there's something in that, that as this woman becomes the patron of Lent itself is pretty profound because Lent is a pretty profound thing. Right. Um, things that I know that I like to go uh, to her for uh, motivation, perseverance. There is a sense of clairvoyance with her. Um, to protect the outcast or the abused is a famous thing to do with her. Um, in general, it's just, there's some beautiful works that can be done with her. I'll see if I can. Um, Penitent, wonderful, self-tormentor, oh yes, sinful me by passion darkened. Passions are beasts which eat at our heart, in us are serpents, secretly they weave a nest. Oh yes, sinful me by passion consumed. Hearken to the cry of Mary of all the most sinful. Her darkened soul he whitened as snow, filled it to overflowing with her grace. And Mary became radiant with the Spirit as an angel of God, by strength girded by your power, O Christ, mercy most pure. What smells so awesome, or what smells so in the awesome wilderness, as beautiful incense in a chest of the temple, that Mary breathes with holiness she exudes. It's an Eastern Orthodox hymn. It's mm. the full thing. So calling her the most sinful. And also because she's Mary of Egypt, there is this interesting thing of the blackening. So it's black cloth that she goes in there. It's just a little bit of bread calling to mind the, the black soil of, of Alchem, right. of, of Egypt itself. Mm -hmm. And again, here, the most sinful, the most blackened exudes. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, there's so much that comes to mind with that. But the, um, there's a book I'm reading right now. It talks about the, the painting, the pigments in uh, Nigeria and Orisha land. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, in the diaspora, we approach, uh, associate Watala with just gleaming white. We use enamel and just this titanium whiteness. Mm -hmm. land, you paint the walls black so that the effluent patterns that you draw on it will stand out more. So there's this prayer to make me as black as possible so my character stands out better, which is an amazing affirmation of oh, a black people, of a black deity, of, mm. of this, the positivity of blackness. Right, right, right. So so that, uh, you know, that Sir William stuff about the, the, the darkness represents... Uh, not not fear, but uh, the unknown uh -huh. and the exploration of it, and we trust that the moon shall guide us. Mm -hmm. Right, so you got all, all that kind of biz, which is interesting. And then the the notion of the of 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 of, of dudu, right, of yeah. of the the black ashe uh -huh. being uh, what's the the phrase you used that one time? That the 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 water, the still water at midnight. Yeah, the water uh, at midnight. Yeah, black soil. It's you don't know if the soil is going to bear fruit or if it's going to your seed is going to go 
to shit in it. Right. And it's unknown. It's a mediating force. And it's a lovely, it's actually fairly stable as far as things go. White and red are scarier. <laughs> um, you know, this heated force and this cooling force. And you need a balance of them, the semen and the menses forces, to, to really play into the black the blackness of time and space, the blackness of the world. Right, the receptivity and the potentia, if we want to go an Aristotelian metaphysic route. Yeah, definitely this kind of, and, and that, that sense of not just so the white stands out, but so uh, the black gets to do its, 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 the thing it can do of, of, of receiving something and making it more, uh, something growing from it yeah. as well. Yeah, that black is... You know, it ties into other things that we're, we're, we're talking about today, too, just as far as, you know, obsidian is, is a quintessential black stone. And certainly its associations in, for me, are of, of the black, the black teok of, of Tezcatlipoca. And the, the covering with soot to appear as night, the unknown, um, the obsidian mirror that you scry into to, to get this idea of, of what is unknown? Can it be known? Mm-hmm. But it's a very dreamlike quality, and then of course the stone is associated with nightmares and dreams, and mm-hmm. people not and people's words reflecting from you because it's a natural mirror. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to look at this stone more than a lot of others. Sometimes the mystical qualities ascribed to stones are so culturally specific, or we, it's, we're missing something in translation. It's like I'm not quite sure how this stone does that, but obsidian is one of those ones that its physical characteristics seem to directly reflect its mystical associations in a way that is much more straightforward than a lot of other stones. Um, obsidian itself, as far as, like I said, for me, Tezcatlipoca is, is the, the, teot, the, the deity uh, in Mexica cosmology um, that is the unknown. He's the enemy on both sides. It's the night wind. It is, uh, it's a supreme god force. It is, um, you know, my my personal interpretation of, of Aztec cosmology is is it, it, I'm not alone in it, nor did I invent my personal interpretation. <laughs> I'm just saying my understanding is is they're not independent anthropomorphic entities. This is this is a, a Western projection upon those that as a polytheistic desire. I'm talking about um, the, the the four. Uh, even the concept that that uh generally i would say that these forces overlap with each other that one energy can appear as 12 different gods right. by different names gods quote unquote mm-hmm. um that are brought into existence through dance through prayer through association through offerings to 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 allow that spirit to manifest in that way that all earth deities are the earth deity that there are many and one and none and this this overflow or this obsession with like how many gods are there well, if tomorrow there needs to be another one because something new comes up in society, another one will be born. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. The understanding of how to interact with the divine as opposed to how to catalog it. Right. And this is, um, you know, this is just like, after years of, of delving into Mesoamerican cosmology and just an obsession with mine. Um, but this Calipoca is, is an interesting marker for that because as a deity of the unknown, he, the enemy on both sides is a very profound title. There is no safety. So if you are, it's like I was with uh, last year at the Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a woman there who was with us on the balcony one night. There were like 12 of us talking on the balcony. And she said, what are your superpowers? What's your superpower? And we went around the balcony. I don't remember what I said. And we said, what's yours? And she said, treason. And I was like, that's so profound. That's so <laughs> Tezcatlipoca in my head because... 
to betray the betrayer, like had this this constant betray, mm. this constant treason is such an interesting. Now, treason implies breaking down governments, which is its own thing. Um, the established order, and it's it's its own its own weighted statement. But as far as what that goes, it ties into the statement of enemy on both sides that there is no safety. You can't appease the deity of that is the enemy on both sides. Right, right. The, the <laughs> you were saying like the the notion of this kind of like uber trickster who doesn't even respect his own deals. Yeah, there's no deals. Right. You can have deals with an aspect of him, but then another aspect of coming and you're like, I don't know about that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not the jeweled turkey you just signed the deal with. Mm. You know, I'm the jaguar under the mountain. <laughs> if that's still me, well, yes, but you're like, uh-huh, and your family's dead, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the night and the stillness of night and that which you can only feel but you can't see. Mm. That's why the night wind is such an interesting praise name for him. Mm. Um, the The image made uh, very popular in the Invisibles of the the headless skeleton whose ribs clap open and shut. If you can grab the heart, um, you, you get the wish. Mm. Um, but Tezcatlipoca is just such an interesting thing because all deities in some essence, for, for, for a Tezcatlipoca-centered person, all deities are him. Um, because the four children of Omateo, uh, the primary duality, are... Blue Tezcatlipoca, red Tezcatlipoca, white Tezcatlipoca, black Tezcatlipoca. And it's interesting that he is the one that retains the identity of being a Tezcatlipoca. And Tezcatlipoca itself means smoking mirror, Mm. um, which is the story as to why obsidian is connected to him. One, because I think the, the obsession with obsidian as a Stone Age culture, obsidian was the primary blade. So they and, were, and a good blade as well. Absolutely. The the what's the, the the micron thickness that you can get from it is is you know superior to a lot of metals that yes. will, would come later and require far more quote unquote advanced or civilized metallurgy to produce. Yeah, a lot more toxins to produce. Mm. Um, You're saying the, the the levels of like surgery that these things enabled. Yeah, it was. It's it's pretty profound. Uh, just the the level of precision that was done with this is like. Uh, it's just the perceptions on what is valuable. Obsidian is valuable. Jadeite is valuable. Um, but gold was just used for decoration. It wasn't so like, why would we make coins out of that? That doesn't make any sense. That's used to ornament things because it shines in the sun and it's pretty. Um, but it's soft. Yeah, exactly. It's not a valuable weapon at all. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's good for honoring the sun god. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Tezcatlipoca, the, the, the first four emanations out of Omateo are all Tezcatlipocas. They're all mysteries. We don't quite know what they are. We, right. we have this idea of even the smoky mirror, the thing you look into to kind of get an idea, holding the obsidian up to the copal smoke so that you can see shapes, things crossing across it, holding it over and then mm. looking at it to read it, which is a technology known to many people in many traditions. But this idea of the, the mensu thing, that is the mirror where you're holding it over a candle smoke or over smoke itself and then looking at it to see what's stained on it to see, okay, what am I reading here? And with Tezcatlipoca... We only know from where he's been. We don't know where he's going. Um, you know, it's... Uh, Dark matter. Yeah. <laughs> we track it by um, what, it, what it's not. And the story is, is that when he, when the world was created, um, and I don't believe it was the current world, because uh, there, there are five in the cosmology, mm-hmm. uh, but he comes down and has to fight the earth monster, which is a giant caiman, which is also the world tree. It's the seba. And uh, he rips off the animal's jaw to tame it. Um, and it becomes land itself and the world tree. But at the same time, he loses his foot in the battle, which was bit off. So his foot is replaced with an obsidian mirror. So part of him is eternally mystery. Even when it's depicted, he must remain 
smoking. Part of where he stands. Yes. So mm. um, the dances for him are also interesting because he's a limping dance, which is gorgeous in Danza Azteca, where it's just your your left foot is bent on, you're walking on your ankle. So it's just consistent. And stomping is me pretending I'm doing the dance even though I'm sitting down. <laughs> um, it is some of my favorite favorite dances uh, in Danza Azteca because of, of this weird limp thing that starts to happen. And um, it's the sorcerer god. It's the god of magic right. and nighttime and, and mystery and the power of the word because the word is not given shape. We don't, especially in a culture that I wouldn't say illiterate. I think that's an unfair thing because they had an extremely complex pictograph system. Right. Um, and it's a shame that huge amounts of those things were just burned. Um, and they inherited a bunch of the not technology as well, right? The, yes. Yeah, which is still debated as to whether or not that counts as writing. Writing, who knows? Right. Um, Just because you invented a form of tapestry slash uh, codification first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know it's like we, we should just call it a writing could be referred to as tapestry as well. And then, you know, people might look at it differently. It's kind of like a... The, the side effect when people say like there should be a a, a universal language it's like great why not Yoruba well I don't speak Yoruba it's like and a lot of people don't speak English like like if you really want it then you know I'm not promoting Esperanto here in any way I was going to say yeah, that's, that's the, the one I was thinking let's let's make this fair and have nobody speak it <laughs> <laughs> yeah except that Esperanto is still based in European languages so it, it right. makes sense to a European right but the blackness is still there with Tezcatli Polka the priests cover themselves in soot um, so again, it's it's just that's what was bringing to my head there of mm. Mary of Egypt mm. and the blackness and the blackening of the skin from mm -hmm. the sun mm. being exposed to so much light that you become hardened in leather, but your the interior is still soft to remain supple of the heart to exude holiness in a in the desert. Most of the time, you would be reeking of 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 something, mm. um, and to now exude a smell so sweet because you are so touched by holiness that it's not in death that her body exudes sweetness. But while she is living, she is a living saint, right. which the desert fathers and desert mothers often felt were felt to be mm. because they were so retreated from society. The stylites that lived on pillars and these, this early culture of desert hermits, mm. not that many desert mothers. And here you have one. And she's, just, she's amazing. is amazing. <laughs> I was going to ask about um, the wheel on the top, right? That she's meant to, on top of the pole, uh -huh. there's, a, there's a wheel. I was thinking about this in terms of looking at depictions of Kairos. And how she, amongst other things, with her punk hairdo and her knives, uh, she's also depicted on a on a flying wheel. But the wheel is she's not rolling on it uh, like a wheel of fortune. It's it's on its side and it spins like a flying saucer. Maybe Egypt? No, no, no. Kairos. Kairos. The, yeah. the, the depiction of of, of 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 time out of time. Right, right, right. Of opportunity. Yeah. Uh, that you have to grab at her. Okay. Um, I don't know this depiction, but I like. Oh, this. it's great. Uh, she has a, a. I say it's like a, a total buzz cut. She's got. A long forelock because uh -huh. uh, you can you're meant to grab opportunity uh -huh. as it's coming. A shaved head at the back because once she's gone, there's no grabbing her. Uh, winged feet, obviously. Uh, knives, full of knives because uh, uh, opportunity cuts sharp. Oh yeah, 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 it's great. Uh, the image of Kairos, uh, if we're going to do Deccan stuff, is related to Vapula uh, in, in the seventy-two uh, in in the later stuff, uh, which is really interesting in terms of like. Uh, beaches and winds and coming uh, from the uh, uh, she uh, comes for the from the west uh, mm -hmm. so has this connection to Paimon anyway uh, but yeah and, uh, and and she's on a everything she's on has a connection to <laughs> <laughs> if you could even hear that <laughs> so she's on this this wheel and I was thinking about the wheel turning and and, and um, 
spinning you around and seeing things from many perspectives. So she's also like facing in all directions constantly in a, in a dynamic way, as opposed to, so the practical reason for a wheel at the top of a, a hermit's pole that they live up, what's the term for it again? Uh, well, they were stylites. Stylites, uh, right. Uh, the, the people who live on mm-hmm. pillars. So there's a practical reason of just like, that's a thing at the center that you can build to have a platform to be able to actually sit on. Uh-huh. But the idea of it not moving and kind of the reversal of Kairos uh-huh. in some way and an and unchirotic thing. Well, it's interesting because the you know the, the meditations of uh, heavily based in Thomas, right? It would be as passerby mm-hmm. uh, to walk through the world but be not of it. And this is a, a very strong maxim of, in some form in that way, of many religious traditions, especially monastic traditions, that uh, to be of the world is to be bogged down by it. And so it doesn't mean you're better than it because the minute you think that you are, you're back in it. Right. But this idea that if you can set up an omphalos, set up the navel of the world mm. and truly live as if that is it. I remember one nun at the Abbey, we were talking about the walls of the Abbey and what they are. And she said, there's a, a wrong belief about what the walls are there for. And many people feel that we're trying to keep the outside world away. And she said, we're trying to protect the world from us when we're <laughs> not around each other. And she said, we need the extra rules because we are too vault. Like we recognize it as humans. It's, it's too much. Right. It's too much. And that the group, the salvation, there is salvation in the group. There is salvation in the discipline. And I find this wonderful within monastic communities that their vows are to the monastic community first, not the church. Mm. So if that order is excommunicated, they're still Benedictine. They're <laughs> still Augustinian. They're still whatever their order is. Right. Um, which I find fascinating. So it's dedication to the laws or the traditions set up by each monastic order and the individual culture of each abbey or monastery. And you actually swear to that which you work with and the people you work around and are are actually part of rather than some more abstracted or or potentially dogmatic uh, kind of ruling, uh, a worldview rather than a a policy or a politic. It also bespeaks the uh, stuff that you find in... Uh, in uh, Afro-diasporic traditions as well of it's far harder to do the spiritual bypassing of gosh I'm so enlightened uh, look at all this great spiritual stuff I I do when you realise that a lot of these things are prescribed by divination are medicine as much as they are a awarding of a new grade or, a, or an advancement towards enlightenment you need this thing <laughs> Or at least yeah. life will be a lot better for you if you get it, mm-hmm. uh, or if you do it and continue to do it. This this practice is yeah is to is to protect you from yourself <laughs> to some degree, or at least to try. At least and, we're going to give you the divination sign that tells you all the shit that we have to tell you that you're not going to listen to other unless you get this <laughs> new Orisha. Um, there is, I mean, it's a celebration of that too. I think I mean, as far as ATR too is, there's um, I think the this is a tangent, of course, but uh, welcome to Alan Jesse. Um, <laughs> I think one of the beautiful things about it is that there is no ignoring of what life actually is yeah. in, especially in things like Odisha, mm-hmm. where there is not this proposed, oh, well, you're going to live this life where no one's ever going to talk shit about you and you're going to have money flowing in and you're going to have a thousand virgins laying their, their, what do females throw at people? Their breasts. Um, sorry, <laughs> I feel really gay right now. Um, <laughs> throwing themselves at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not that there's not going to be gossip about you. Right. Like, let's, gossip is the way of the world. And it's not that you're going to have uninhibited financial ex- 
uh, success. Orisha often recommends diversifying. It is a, it's a merchant-based culture mm -hmm. that tried to figure out the best way for you to thrive within the world you live in, not the world that existed 400 years ago, right. not the world that might exist if, if the proletariats overthrow the bourgeoisie and everything happens to, you know, mm -hmm. didn't say that out loud, that's good. Um, <laughs> but in order to some people's dreams, um, and it's about using the resources you have. So this confrontation with they're not asking you, Orisha aren't asking you to be human. They're asking you to be Orisha. They're asking you to make big decisions and be like, look, do you want heartache? No. Then cut that person out of your life. Mm. Oh, but it hurts. So yeah, it's going to hurt more in 10 years if you keep going that way. Mm. Oh, you don't want to be in business with that person? Then don't be in business with that person. Make your offer. Make, you know, you ask a question, should I sign this business deal? And the Odu that falls talks about you need to be single partnerships, right? like no partnerships whatsoever. Only be in partnership with yourself and your ideas. Or sometimes it might say, you'd be like, oh, I'm about to do this thing. What should I do? And the first thing that falls is talking about partnerships and the strengths of that. And like, you need to go find a partnership with a married woman so that, you know, that that's in a secure relationship that her husband won't be jealous so that you can go, like, it can give you all this advice very mm -hmm. specifically. But it isn't about ignoring or saying, um, I think we do this all a lot in our lives, or at least I'm an idealist and think like, oh, I'll act when the time is right. It's like, no, what is the actual battleground right now? Mm. It can't just be like, it's what we talk about with, um, what I like to think about with Eshudos Rios a lot of, uh, I had this thought about this the other day, but Eshudos Rios for me is the Eshud occurrence. You know, it's the thing that after you've made this decision coming out of the bonfire of Moore and his, his sub-lieutenants, whatever they're... Ow. Deputies? Deputies, thank you. Um, oh, Western hierarchy. <laughs> um, but the idea that you've taken the, the torch to the fire and you're walking across the, the street or the river now. Right. You and can't just take it because the cars are going to hit you. Right. You've got to look both ways. You've got to pay attention to what's mm -hmm. coming. And I had this flash the other day that it made me think that riots and uh, suicide bombers and all these things are actually Dos Rios impulses of you can't just impose a top-down hierarchy of or government or heavy anything of dictum without looking at these things. And sometimes you have to know, okay, in order to cross this stream, we're probably going to lose a couple things, but let's keep in touch with the, the more precious things. Let's make sure they're interior of the boat or whatever it is, or it's a really weird metaphor now. <laughs> but the idea being that sometimes you have to pick your battles. Sometimes you have to know that you are going to lose some things. So figure out how to secure the things that are the most important, that if you try and do something unanimously or uh, 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 kind of megalithically the way that a lot of people do, mm. there will be repercussions. And the things that poke against that, that you didn't take the temperature of the room, the things that uh, poke against that because you didn't do your research at all before you put this out before your audiences, mm. that's the Dos Rios impulse there. It's the river is now flooding because, you know, you've, you it's going to find a way. That you, like, you've got to figure out a way to work with things. Right, how to cross. So less about how to navigate a boat on a river and more about crossing a river yeah as well like how to how to move forward in the face of moving against the grain of the world yeah or part of it i think about the the river if we're, we're talking to us rios uh, as one of the deputies or, or sub-lieutenants of uh eshure searching uh, -huh. uh and the parallels there is matched to uh Neberos, who has these two lines as well one of which is a lot like uh the other kinds of work. So one guild is a really good example of, of, of why I think looking at guilds, looking at which 
deputies rule the, which deputies? the three sets. Yes. Which are the which ones? Oh, the which ones are, are, are those <laughs> under under Astaroth. Oh, uh, wow. Definitely. Nice. Uh, Sagatana and, and Neberos. The first ones of Neberos. I think it makes... I like looking at these groups of three subordinates to see where their uh, powers inform each other because for, for, for Neberos, the, it, 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 it's one of the best examples because you've got three things that don't seem necessarily terribly connected. Uh, you've got the powers of invisibility from one, uh, from, from Morel. Uh, you've got uh, the power to make feasts or banquets with uh-huh. Frutimia. And you've got the power of uh, sleeping and exploring uh, dream by by extension, but mainly sleep through the Garas. So combining those starts to make a lot more sense, especially when you understand like invis like or start to engage with invisibility mysteries in a way that's that's Does useful. Sleep and dream come after feasting and banquets because that's a natural progression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that right? would make perfect sense. Oh, it's it, it's 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 a prime uh, spirit working guild, right? How do you uh, see the spirits by being invisible as well? What do you do? You make offerings. And, and, and how do you interact with them or, or receive, you know, positive word or, 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 get, or, or be receptive? Sleep and dream. Uh, and, and this idea of invisibility as something more than just uh, being invisible the way that we think of it now. We're not talking Lon Chaney here, but the idea of, again, being in the world but not of it right. comes into effect here of, in my understanding and experience, that it's about not being visible, so not so much as the opposite of visible. Right. Uh, this, don't impose the dualism there of uh, retreat from the things of the world. So there's a reason for, in so many spirit systems, of retreating from sex, salt, meat, drinking, heavy things mm-hmm. that kind of bring you back into the pleasures of the world and, mm-hmm. and kind of tie you to something other than the focus. Right. Um, a kind of Mary of, of Egypt impulse of like, how do I regain my focus here? Mm-hmm. Um, that in order to do the the Solomonic conjurings of, there is a mini length that you do before doing these things. Yep, it's a it's a full length sometimes. Yeah, well, 40 40 days. Days. yeah, yeah. So this is ignored. Mm-hmm. This is ignored by many people, mm-hmm. and I think mostly because we shy away from like, well, I don't want to have to do all that restriction because you know restriction is the word of sin. Right. Um, right. I'm not interested in feeling guilty. And then why didn't these things show up for me? Right. Purification as you know, not having to admit that you worship some kind of misophobic deity who won't possibly speak to you unless you're squeaky clean or some sense of, of, of moral superiority through uh, your own abnegations or, 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 remo- or, or restrictions. Exactly. Moving away from that notion and towards an idea of like, are your work tools sharp? <laughs> are they clean? Yeah. Do you have a work surface that isn't full of stuff? Yeah. Like, do you have the space and time to devote to this thing and do it? The traditional craft metaphor of uh, clearing your field. Hmm. But you've got to get rid of the rocks and mm-hmm. get the field ready for planting the blood acre. Right. And you know, it brings up some interesting point. Um, the, you, you reminded me as you were talking about kambo, hmm. which is the, the frog poison that is used in Brazil. And for those that don't know it, there is a, 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 a frog that is collected it is harvested the the venom from it it is re-released and uh it gets too valuable to kill that's why and it's collected and it is uh administered through the arms and the legs uh depending on your gender for for men it is in the arm which is the source of strength for men for women it is in through the thigh and there are a certain number of points that are given and they burn the outer layer of skin off and then they use a diluted form of the poison on your skin now it is said 
that the paler the skin, the more intense an experience it is for you. This has kind of been my experience in seeing it go through many people. Um, you are being killed by the frog while it's on your skin, even though it's a diluted form. It is poison overtaking your body. You will get hot, you'll start getting sweaty, you'll get nauseated, even in a small dose. Um, it will burn up and uh, flare the skin out, and then that is washed away and then it subsides. So you have about two minutes of that at your peak. If you pass out or vomit, then the person wipes it off you. It's not gonna kill you unless you, you know, it's not enough. If they burn through much to your skin, if they really go through the muscle, that's, that's a bad thing, but you're only burning the outer layer of the skin. Anyway, the idea behind this in its traditional context um, is that hunters took it uh, before going into the jungle because it was considered that it greened you. You were not considered human while the venom was inside your system. So animals did not look at you the same way. Venomous animals that stalked you would no longer stalk you. Your prey would not see you coming because now you are a frog. And it increases the sensitivity or the sensory input through your normal senses, uh, sight, smell, and hearing for sure. It also has the immune boosting effects. Right, it resets. Yeah, so your body becomes so overloaded that oftentimes those of us that suffer from extreme allergies uh, when taking combo, not legal in this country, um, legal there, uh, able to kind of give you an immune, immune boost for six months and you have less allergy problems, you might not get colds or flus during that six months. So there are a lot of people to do this. There have been controversial uh, tests on uh, people with uh, HIV or HEP or things like that where a series of the, of the uh, solution given at regular intervals can help the viral load go down, mm. um, increase uh, white cells and things like that. So, or T cells, um, can increase T cells. I'm just going to say this so it doesn't sound like an idiot when I say it. That said, where I was going mm. with that was the idea of being invisible. Mm. Yeah. That the idea of walking into the forest wearing the skin of something else or the venom or the blood of something else. Right. So there is this thing where it brings you closer to death and by that, not a trial, it's literally the keyhole that you have to pass through. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out as a human how to go through something only a frog can go through. Right. And the way that this is done is through taking combo into the skin mm -hmm. and almost dying because you feel a hint of its poison. Mm -hmm. And in a similar way that fasting for 40 days, we're not talking no food whatsoever, but there's a progressive lessening of meat and exposure to complex foods. Right. Um, no alcohol to the point where you're just bread and water and then a few days of no food. But this complete lack of something means that we all blame nightmares on bad indigestion from a big meal. How do you know that the demon you're seeing isn't just roast beef? <laughs> well, if you haven't eaten any in, the, in a long time, and that's an oversimplification, but the idea being that this restriction is a voluntary thing. It's not like you're saying it's a law that you have to go through forever. Right. The idea that Lent is inherently negative isn't odd thing that a lot of people have put onto Catholics that the, the, the papists do this weird thing called Lent and, and give stuff up. It can also be about adding things on that are uh, an added effort mm. of like, you know, I'm going to check in on my neighbor every day or um, whatever it is. Uh, does not have to be, um, I'm giving up hot dogs. Well, oh yeah, wonderful. Jesus loves you more. Mm -hmm. um, he was tempted with hot dogs in the desert. We're all tempted with meters in the desert. <laughs> um, yeah, but invisibility. Going back to Mr. Bale. Yes, of course. Uh, and if invisibility is of, uh, of the wind in the darkness, then we're also into the second line, which is in its uh, NOLA uh, nod. I love calling it that. Neveros' second line, who are the two sub-deputies, as they sometimes get called, of, of Hale and Sogolath, uh, who are the, the, the left and right hands of... Well, their, their counterparts are... To the, the hands of death. Right. 
Speaking of comparisons between <laughs> the good people of the book, the bad people of the book, and <laughs> the good people of Kimbanda. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> then we can also start talking about our, uh, our demon of the week. Uh, and this, this episode is hopefully brought to us by Kiel and Seche Cachoeira. 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 My Portuguese like is Like cash, mm-hmm. but less, eh, less mm-hmm. British. Cachoeira. Cachoeira. Mm. You know, it's interesting because Seche Cachoeira is, as a spirit, is not one you hear about as much. Um mm. To my knowledge, certainly in the south, and this might be because there are less waterfalls. Uh, <laughs> Imagine that. Except in the areas I go to, but uh, my experience is that they're still around. It's just big urban uh, Kimbanda does not necessarily have giant cachoeiras everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, we're not talking about one cachoeira. We're talking about seven, uh, not literally, um, but maybe. Uh, sure, if you ever find a spot where there's seven waterfalls flowing into one, like, you know, give me that water. Um, <laughs> just tell me how much you're going to charge. Uh, it might, might be worth putting a, a word in about that. The the, the notion of sevens. That's where I was in going, yeah. So most obviously we can think about it in terms of the the seven kingdoms, the idea that uh, the difference between Pombajira, Sechen Cruciatas and Pombajira and Cruciatas, mm-hmm. that one of them is present in. So they have the notion of each kingdom in, in every kingdom. As well, completion. right. So the sense of perfection is the other idea. The, yeah. the the totality by representing all of the, like all of your options. Yeah, and this is certainly seems to be kind of a, a European agreement with Congolese cosmology as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, interestingly, it kind of ties into our talk about geomantic and Odu today. Also, the the notion of seven itself is uh, the seven shells is Odi. Uh, for us, uh, so in Dilogun, which is Karka, which is, in as far as Odu wise, is the it's the world, it's the vaginas that that burns and destroys. Hmm. Um, so it is the grave, it is the womb, it is the tomb, it is all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, tomb and grave are kind of the same thing, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, but they in this <laughs> context of shorthanding things, they should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also just because of the European notion of seven being the, the biblical days of the week and the seven classical planets, like there's a lot of weight to seven that is once you're exposed to the, the ideologies of seven planets and right. you know this 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 kind of grand unification of Western magical theory that kind of finds its way in, especially filtered in through Umbanda and the Theosophists. Just small the H, heptarchic. Um, it becomes very difficult to unlearn and unsee <laughs> this, oh, the sevens are everywhere. Um <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it becomes very, uh, it's the thing with any meta paradigm, right? When you're trying to make it, you will then fit everything into your meta paradigm. It's like, if you're going to fit everything under the Kabbalistic tree of life, you will not be convinced that there is something that can't fit on there. Yeah. And even if someone from another system, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, no, no, it does. You just don't know enough yet. Right, right. Um, or, or you, you uh, develop a process model whereby, well, it's really about how you can fit it onto the tree. That's the, that's the lesson you learn. The, the answer isn't important. It's the journey. The the, the treasure was in, inside you all along. I like my rabbi friend is basically constantly saying like, no, mix up the order of everything all the time. <laughs> Tomorrow, just put Keter at the bottom and see what happens. Um, <laughs> like, then you're just going to start learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea of seven being, uh, it's a profound number numerologically within uh, uh, Congolese worldview as well. And the, the multiple of seven at, at, at key events 
of what seven minutes means, seven days, seven hours. These things have significant times. Mm -hmm. And uh, that the onset of the age of reason starts around seven. And it's 14 is when adulthood starts in a traditional society. And at 21, you should have had children already and it keeps on going from there. And that you're gonna start seeing possibility of grandchildren by 28 and further on from there. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's an interesting uh, parallel in that way, but I think it's at this point, it means so many things to have seven as opposed to uh, just one mm -hmm. uh, within Kimbanda, especially. Seche mm. Cachueras um, is, uh, he's a Caboclo Kimbandero, so he is, uh, Caboclos are the indigenous spirits. Uh, originally, Caboclo was a term on the racial scale uh, that describes someone who was half European and half indigenous. Um, over time, it seemed to be transferred to indigenous in general. And I don't know why this shift happened. Hmm. Um, it is a term used to refer to the indigenous. I don't know if that's part of the, it was uh, quote unquote half-breeds mm -hmm. uh, that uh, were the bridge between the cultures uh, in that way to a larger audience. I don't know if the term became very prominent within Umbanda because of the fact that Umbanda was considered, and especially in its beginning, kind of a whitewashing of the other systems. And it was, there's a lot of questions that a lot of people have raised over the years. Mm. But you say Caboclo to an average Brazilian and it doesn't matter the history of it, they know you're talking about an indigenous spirit. Um, or at least the depiction of an indigenous spirit. Um, but the Caboclos Quimbanderos are a certain uh, group of spirits within Quimbanda that are those Caboclos that work within the laws of Quimbanda that acknowledge that these spirits exist. Are they the exact same as the Caboclos with a matching name? up for debate. Mm -hmm. Are they just different masculine say one? Because there is Caboclo Seche Cachueras. It looks very different from the statues of Eshu Seche Cachueras. Mm. And we're also into the realm of how much are these spirits uh, an individual uh, dead who, a dead person who mm -hmm. coheres things around them and how much are they a thing that has cohered dead people around them. Yes. And the idea that, that much like the beliefs about many things is that these are nicknames. Mm and that the specific names are uh, the province of those people who work with them intimately. And uh, it may be that everybody is working with a different one. It may not be, I think, you know, that's, you're talking a grand metaphysic that is, most people will have theories on, but if you spend too much time arguing it, you're really, you have a different priority. Mm. Uh, you're selling something, most likely. Seche mm. Cachueras uh, is uh, said to be the issue that helped Moses part the Red Sea, or the Reed Sea, depending on who you want to argue with. Uh, he is generally pretty serious and demands forthrightness and honesty, which makes sense. You know, you're playing near a waterfall. You don't want someone who's going to mess around and, and make you fall over it. Uh, he is heavily deals with passions in general. Uh, so this makes sense that the, the river that is flowing all the time all of a sudden over tumbles. And so it... Uh, can be an issue that can use to calm down extreme emotions as well as to provoke them. Mm. Uh, he can be gorgeous and uh, I think Nick uses the word intoxicating to describe him. I only have a few experiences with him and only once seeing him down. Interestingly, I've also heard in some houses he wets the hair of the mount when he comes down, like they pour water on mm. so much other spirits that are like that. Um, cold water in Kimbanda is where this was in the house where I saw him come down. But it's generally said that you need to have a relationship with him before you just call on him. Uh, you have to know the waterfall before you pretend you're going to take other people over it. Uh, don't go over it in a barrel without checking first, I guess. 
there's not really much more to say. He's, he's, he's a little bit chaotic. He's a little bit uh, hard to predict. He is a trickster. It's an issue after all. Uh, he is not uncommonly talking about what we say with Tezcatlipoca. He is also known for going against his word. So you can give him an offering that he accepts and then he'll say, okay, great. And then he'll completely turn your life upside down because, well, he's a waterfall. And he's seven of them at this. Hmm. Um, his ponto is definitely, the ponto riscado is, um, I said like a Spaniard because that's my, you know, my reference point. Ponto riscado is, uh, it literally is a trident falling over, which mm-hmm. looks like an impotent trident for some, but it's, it's the trident becoming the waterfall. Right. Uh, and then, seven crosses around it. So uh, seven crossroads, the X symbol. So you have seven again being, it's tied into the Encruciadas there because it is, you have the water is now changing directions. It's, right. It's a crossroads of direction. And it's a crossroad of air and water and land and water and yeah. all these things are it's happening. A, it's a free fall as well. It's not just that you've been swept away by the current of something. It's that suddenly there is nothing beneath you and you are plummeting. Yeah. Uh, he does take really, really rounded stones like you would find under a waterfall. Mm. And so the Caboclo and the Eshu both are propitiated in, in houses that work with more than just Eshus or Caboclos that are incorporating Orisha, like Umbanda houses, um, because the, the river stones are so important. Mm. So to it is a way of propitiating him that you might be able to find good ones, mm. um, to find good river stones in this way. Uh, Does that mean a relationship with Sitch Pedras? Uh, yes, but Sitch Pedras is more at the beach. Mm. So there's the ocean tumbling there. But this is a more almost considered a more natural because it's a consistent process, whereas waterfalls are rarer. Right. Well, certainly rarer than the singular thing that is the ocean. Right. Um, and so encompassing. Um, but you know, the thing with the waterfalls is like even as Ponto, right? Um Tremeteja is is the the uh, shake the earth, shake the earth. Um, and there's because where I Mr. think we get the counterparting. Yeah, so shake the earth, shake the earth, because uh, Mr. Seven Waterfalls has come. Uh, shake everybody. So it's not just uh, Tremeteja, now it's uh, Trememundo. So it's shake the world, shake everybody. Because, uh, so the first one, sh- let me explain this. Tremeteja is shake, 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 shake. Um, because Mr. Seven Waterfalls has arrived, Trememundo is about shake everybody. And then it just says fall, fall, laroye, which is just, it's, it's almost like a, a weird Kimbanda version of. Life is but a dream. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 just like, you know, Kaya Kaya is, uh, is such an interesting thing of like, <laughs> fall, fall. <"Lara> <laughs> row, row, row your boat fiery over the edge. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, ponto. Um, and I think that's the only one Nick gives in the book. He isn't, what's the, the phrase that's used for say, like, Tata Kavera, uh, uh, mounts from the earth, pulls from the earth. The only time I've seen him came down, he mounted more like a kabuko, which mm. is just, there's a certain pattern mm-hmm. of how they come. Okay. Um, so when, we're definitely not talking about a literal fall to the ground when he turns up. Not the same way. Mm. But eshus generally, eshu, all eshus do tend to slam against the ground in some form. Right, but it's it's often more of a kind of like... <clears throat> yeah, there's uh, going to be contact with the earth in some way. Those, those are great illustrations. For, <laughs> for radio, uh, yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Um, just like our faces. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think with, with him, because, you know, it's not one that I've... It's not come up a lot of in readings. It's I know people that have him. Mm. Um, and like I said, I've seen him come down in the Manda Temple. I've seen like a vocal come down too. They're not dissimilar, but 
Both of them look very similar to me when they come down. Um, they're always shaking arrows and hunting. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, a Shosi-esque. Oh, Shosi-esque, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's the leader, right, of, of, of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I have my favorite couple of those, right? Uh, Benebranca is uh, it's my boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, a few others. And uh, Caboclo Jurema is just, she's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And just, anyway, Caboclos are fantastic. Uh, and it is truthfully... If you look into Umbanda's history, it is the cult of the Caboclos. That's what they. That's what started it, and it, it kind of branched out from there to incorporate everything. Right. And it took the the message behind it being that the indigenous spirits of Brazil were now coming in, merging with the laws of Kardecian spiritism, right. and saying, let's incorporate everything. Mm. So as far as like Umbanda's creation epic, it's a lovely story. It's a lovely way of ecumenicalizing everything. Right. Um, unfortunately, what happens when that happens is that you can also be like the the system where you you don't quite you're just passing on a little bit of information which is can lead people to explore those things in more full but i don't there is there are grammar there are cults that are more dedicated to just working with couple close mm-hmm. now um i don't know the specific histories of those my experience is more with with uh different different lines of umbanda and uh kimbanda the rice houses and then kamoble mm-hmm. um and you know it's brazil is only now being uh, looked at by the West as much for these things, but there have been some amazing scholastic works in the past sixty years that have looked at what things are and the and the the trade between Africa and Brazil that, that kind of revitalized Candomblé and um, just Umbanda's kind of revitalization in the seventies and what that went it kind of went very Afro focused mm. and got away a lot from a lot of the Caboclo stuff, which was kind of unsubstantiated. But then towards the two thousands again, there seems to be this rise again of of Caboclo things mm. and kind of a re surgence of uh, incorporating actual Tupi and Tupinamba things into this and incorporating indigenous uh, things from more Amazonas uh, up north into the northern houses. Um, and I think this is a lot of just, uh, people are finding that each their own expression with Umbanda because it is such a, a meta paradigm. Right. It tends to be very, you know, universal. Yeah. Uh, it's not unlike, it's not unlike what voodoo is in Haiti where voodoo is meant to be the the umbrella under which all spirits can right. work we're well aware of those spirits over there yeah and we don't work with them and we don't especially want to but we could yes and it, it, it and just because i don't work with them doesn't mean i shouldn't listen to them when they show up and they say we have a child coming to you so take care of them and they will learn which is really beautiful when the person is, can, can do that from a genuine place that is not about ego or money right and can really explore what that spirit is doing and you know it just gets dangerous when it becomes other motives mixed with it right. find Mary find your focus <laughs> um, yeah tan that hide that was... <laughs> anyway <laughs> find your pole <laughs> find your pole tan that hide um, sit and swivel sit... oh jeez <laughs> um, sorry Mary <laughs> Al's British she doesn't understand these things I know not what I do so the connection there is interesting. And when between the, the, the Verum spirit keel and the counterparted uh, Sajikashwara for... Sometimes it's really, really, uh, I don't want to say obvious, but the, the, the connection is very much, oh yeah, you are both kind of expressly concerned with such and such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, more often there's a kind of it feels like there's a sideways glance at uh, so this spirit is concerned with this thing and from again this perspective of the when Tierras are trying to literally whitewash 
Well, literally, I suppose. Uh, but uh, European eyes. <laughs> just steamroller with white paint. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Palimpsest it all. Sometimes they're, they're a kind of angle. And I feel like this is one of the ones that's at, that comes in at kind of an angle. And I wonder if the Ponto comes first before the association or the Ponto is born out of knowing that the association is with Kiel primarily as being about earthquakes, mm-hmm. as causing the earth to shake now in many versions of the verum that's that's it it's just makes great earthquakes uh, just just a three word uh, entry that you have to then you know huh. pull stuff out from in some of the other forms uh, some of the earlier uh, manuscripts the de secretis uh, one especially which seems to be one of the earliest verum esque um uh, forebearers it's there's there's talk of stricken fields and there's also talk of homes as well which sometimes gets uh, pulled in to um, trying to get a wider picture on, on on who or what this this spirit is, what their what their office is, and this idea of uh, being concerned with towns or homes as well as agriculture, as well as shaking the earth, is really interesting to me. And the way I've ended up uh, approaching and working with Keel, um, because again, to take it from a guild perspective, uh, the other two members of the of that guild under. Uh, Satanakia are Frimost and Klepoth, who both have wands mm-hmm. in in the, the the setup for Verum. Like they they mm-hmm. they're, they're really important, at least for the conjuration process. And so the other is Keel. So my my interest was in finding out if there was a a tool that could be uh, made a home uh, for Keel or made a tool, which is one of my favorite things about Verum anyway is, is the idea of the, the spirit seals on the tools and the spirit seal on the tool, not necessarily being the spirit seal that you use. Otherwise that spirits like Klebloth have several seals mm-hmm. uh, and some of which are clearly about more about one kind of utility than another. So I was interested in, in, in working that and, and, and in working what, what's the, what's the practicality of, of earthquakes? How does one turn the grandiosity of uh, historical grimoric texts from a different time into something practical and workable in one's life and in one's work without uh, psychologizing it, without simply making it, oh, well, that's, you know, we're not really talking about so-and-so. It's a, it's a metaphor for something mm-hmm. safe that doesn't actually challenge anything. And the, the thing I found with, with earthquakes, uh, and again, this is an odd one in terms of, of, of uh, putting your own kind of practice out there, is uh, Kiel has a lot of utility in uh, harvesting dirt, for, for, for magics for mm. me uh, that's one of the things that they've come through to do and this notion of stirring the earth and of stirring the virtues of it mm-hmm. makes an awful lot of sense to me such a good has a reputation for if you need to go deeper he'll take you deeper mm. and I mean the thing that's that's just for the obvious side of it of a waterfall does make the earth shake and the sound is deafening if it's a large waterfall you go through there and your body is vibrating mm. as you get closer to it so it's the thing of the, the, if you live near it, you're always vibrating. And after a certain point, um, the deafening nature of it comes and it's all you hear. Mm. Um, and it is a different type of spirit that can live under a waterfall or is the waterfall. And I think there's also the thing that since we're talking about like uh, emotions and things like that on a practical level, um, the learning in oneself, this is borderline psychology, learning in oneself the warning signs for when you are about to go over the edge. Hmm. That what are the warning signs? When when do you start to shake and tremble? And how can you stop that before it becomes you're thrown over the edge of the waterfall? Right. So, and here we're into that pharmaca thing again, that the, the spirit that rules the 
the the making of earthquakes can also be appealed to to stop an earthquake. Yes. Right. So when when do we not want the world to to shake? And so this this idea of being interested in the affairs of towns and homes is, I think, where we're at with that. How do we how do we build anti fragile things? Mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 quote um, Talib, what's his face? Uh, the the notion of building something that rather than requiring order that things stay the same for it to stay strong actually becomes stronger through uh, increased chaotic interactions or or novelty mm-hmm. that it actually strengthens it or make, not just strengthens it but uh, increases its anti fragility mm-hmm. uh, so that that makes a great deal of sense to me uh, and the you know thinking about how earthquakes are avoided in terms of uh, you know in, in Japan and and on the uh, west coast of the idea of like ball bearings so mm-hmm. just that fundamental thing of surviving uh m- you know monstrously strong onslaughts by being flexible yes and being like water mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting too because of the just the ancient beliefs about earthquakes and the connection to water mm-hmm. right poseidon is god of earthquakes on the ocean right it's because there's water that flows everywhere mm-hmm. and therefore it is raising the land mm-hmm. um that's interesting too um, certainly in that way and not that there's a lot of geysers in Brazil that I know of um, but this idea of the water that shoots out of the earth is also interesting to me mm-hmm. I have one friend in Iceland who has an obsession with the spirit of the geysers in general hmm. and um, he's from there 20 generations or whatever it is but they are pretty weird um, they, just the idea that to clockwork that it builds up in this way and that you know first off you'd be the first time I visited my Icelandic pronunciation is terrible, but geyser, which is the geyser that they're all named for, <laughs> um, is was pretty impressive. And similarly, just Old Faithful is impressive. Just this idea that the earth is going to exude in this way, it brings up complete metaphors every time of just like, what is going on here? Mm. And that it could kill you. Some of them are extremely toxic to be around. Some of them are just shooting up boiling water, which is itself, you know, not a fun thing to be around. But Again, the earth shakes and it expels something. And similarly, the, the river is reaching the edge of the land. And the idea that the edge of the map, mm. originally the waters fell off and the, the, you know this is where they go. And that's an interesting thing there too, if we take it in the kind of different cosmologies of what exactly is a waterfall. The ocean's falling off the disk of the world at some point and feeding the waters of space is an interesting side of it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That um, if there's seven rivers or seven oceans, then they're all flowing off too. And there is there a context by which such a Cachoeiras or Kiel is responsible for this, the edge of the world that shakes there, that it is the, the disk that's vibrating. And if, you know, if he becomes, um, is it him shutting off those waterfalls that allows a tidal wave to come back and shake ourselves? You know, like, there's a connection there that you can play with. In and the if, you, mind. if you fall off the earth, if we take that model of the spirit world as like the upside down, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very traditional idea, then that water's geysering, geysering up. Yeah. <laughs> it's flow. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's springs. It springs in, in the underworld. Yeah. Um, I like that notion of the edges of the earth. That's very much in line with a, a less literal take on the geomantic figure of Karka. Uh-huh. If we want to move on to, to, to that segway my friend it feels like a good segue right I mean obviously the notion of the prison cell feels like a very obvious oh there are walls in the way and you can't move but the idea of oh you can you can go over that thing but you're never coming back mm-hmm. <laughs> the boundaries of of the the possible but not healthy mm-hmm. uh, or, or of the the unreturnable even if we look at the the, the figure itself is easily comparable to a, a, a vaginus to a vesca Pisces mm-hmm. 
and the breaking of the hymen is, is a common metaphor here. Like what, it, once broken, it's, it's, it's broken. Mm. It is a change of state. Whatever moral descriptions you want to put onto that, that's individual character or religious or cultural, whatever that is, yeah. cultural uh, imposition. But it is a change of state. And in the same way that birth is a change of state, in the same way that death is a change of state. Right. And there is something haunting about those that are born dead in this, you know, in this type of thing, or those that uh, die and come back. Right. Uh, it, it goes against the natural order. You've already changed state too many times. Um, right. And that's, that feels like a very saturnine feature of not just constriction or restriction, which we seem to be coming up a lot as well, but almost that things should be irrevocable, that when they're permanent, that there's something that has to shift for the cosmos to allow that. Uh, and that's funny. You're, you're just reminding me of this, the primary story of Odi, which is the corresponding Odu. Um, the primary refrain is uh, where the grave was first dug and the story of the adulterous woman. She was in a, in a town where they didn't bury their dead. They put them at the bases of trees and covered them. And she wanted to run off with another man and decided that she would fake her own death and was buried appropriate or interred at the base of a tree without, that's not internment at that point. She was laid at the base of a tree and woke up, uh, you know, the next day and was a, pulled her own kind of successful Romeo and Juliet or just Juliet, I guess, <laughs> and uh, went off to another village and at a certain point was found out years later after living a happy life and was dragged back and killed and buried. The grave was dug for the first time. But like that which is dead should stay dead. You were dead. And there's the belief that you know, it's because she lied. And there's the other thing where like, no, she claimed death. Like death is now after her. Like you can't, mm. cheat. you know, there's that side of it too. Mm-hmm. So there's the justice side of don't cheat death because it'll come after us. There's the other side of it of deception. There's all these things of like, but the point is, is that the idea of the grave was first dug to make it permanent, mm. to make sure that what is dead stays dead. That notion of death stalking us wherever we go as well. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of the, this, like that which circles us mm-hmm. is interesting and, and, and circles us in terms of every direction that the man running away from his prediction to die in the marketplace of whatever town it is goes to the other town yeah. uh, where death is waiting. Yeah. Uh, always always where we, we turn to, there is the, the circle. Yeah. Death feels a little bit like the Agent Smith of the Matrix. It's just <laughs> right. death will wear whatever face it needs to. You know, we cloak our deaths. You know, say this with something's moment there all the time. We we can cloak our deaths or dress our deaths in whatever colors we want. It's still death. Mm. And that is the important thing. That which will kill us is very different from a universal concept of death. And for working with her, for working with anything that is death related itself, it is an important thing to consider, to truly consider engaging the thing that will kill you that will take your life as opposed to just a concept right right abstract right uh i think that's the case with part of the power of uh an ancestral practice or working with your ancestors or or, or venerating them is 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 meditating on your own mortality Mm -hmm. and the idea of karka as the as as mortality itself as like this is the this is the perambulation of of how, how far you can go from this central locus out and around it but that's that's all the time this is the, the this is the restriction but it's also the, the point within the circle yeah something. Right, right 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 but it's also the the allotted chance you have this is this is this is your, your domain your life mm-hmm. kingdom stuff 
that you can cross across it. So then you have the the nice Malkuth X Men symbol. Right, 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 right. Golgotha yep. shout outs. <laughs> but the idea of meditating on your death not simply as a morbid attempt to creep other people out by how dark and spoopy you are, but as a dark and spoopy out. You are super dark and spoopy. <laughs> uh, and you you know, uh, the more you tell people that the more, <laughs> the more it's definitely believable. Too. What do you do with it after you've had that revelation and after you wear that label is the interesting thing too right. is it should enhance your life. Right. Um, not just that we conform into a nihilistic desire of like descent into the earth and lay there languishing for days mm-hmm. while we expect our mom to make us food. <laughs> um, you know, like to make us food. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you're such a doll. My goodness, mommy making macaroni or is it the earth? <laughs> oh, I'm so brilliant! Thank you for recognizing that. Up. It's it's the it's against the blank page syndrome of immortality, right? If we're going to frame it like that, that you know, given no rules, told to j- tell a joke. Uh, you know, write a story, do a thing. Here's blank paper. Do anything you want. Uh, ha- is uh, right. It, it's a, it's a lot trickier for most of us to 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 start doing something than it is if we're given a brief of some kind. If we're if we're given uh, rules within which we can play a game. Oh, you mean restrictions can be friends? <laughs> what? Right. So Karka as the as the cell, right? The the fundamental building block of of life. Karka as the there's the, the magic circle. The uh, thing that you can ref- retreat to to maintain your center. Mm-hmm. That is the, the pole hole mm. um, that, help, that keeps the pole erect. Mm. It's the, the, the thing that allows the flagpole to stand. Right. And which is fascinating. Sorry to interrupt. Which is fascinating in terms of comparing it to the other hand of uh, Saturn of Tristitia, which is the pit. Uh, or usually the, the ideograph is depicted as, as the pit. I like it as the depression as well. Uh, like it is the upside down rainbow. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because it, it, I also think it's it's helpful to know, like on the practical side, like Kaka is. I've seen it played out. Uh, let's not forget that it's all containers, uh, literally bags, uh, cold sacks, uh, dead end streets. Mm. Could also be firmness in a decision. Uh, you know, is this somebody I should stay with? Like, well, Kaka with other geomantic signs. Could be a yes. This is the this is the last per- like you're gonna do this person forever, yeah. or it could be it's gonna feel like a prison. So we got to figure out what that open end is, and which right. is why geomancy is unless you really look at all of the signs there, it's very easy to put your interpretation of this so strongly as it can be with any divination. Right. But geomancy because it has these sixteen symbols and that's it. Because geomancy doesn't pair off similar to I'm not just touting like oh do's better. Oh do's still complicated. It takes a lot of time, but the idea of Karker paired with Justicia is very different from Karker paired with Fortuna Major. Mm-hmm. There's just going to be a difference. Especially when we get into shoulds, into into fate business. Uh, I think, you know, we started with Via and mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, oh, moon signs are all variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally you can, you, you get a strong sense, particularly if you're, you know, working with the, the spirits of these figures as well that you're getting a strong sense of like which interpretation makes more sense with the question that's asked with the context with what are my first impressions what are what am i what am i comparing this to and the idea of the the straight and narrow that can be absolutely it's 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 your way it's 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 your way it's the way Mm -hmm. it's a way it's a way versus this is the only way Mm -hmm. uh and and the idea of what's what's in 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 a determinism uh, against fr- free will-ish tension. What is 
what is prison? What is mm -hmm. a prison sentence? What is being in the world? What is uh, making decisions? Mm -hmm. What's what's again? What's the road blocker? What's restricting what we don't need? Mm -hmm. What's taking away distractions? What's getting us back to our, our anchorage? Anchorage? I mean, sure, but I thought you guys didn't like anchorites and things like that. Right, you guys? The Brits. Yeah. Not the whole like black anise thing where she was just a an anchorite that right meaning none that was oh they're, a, a, oh, they're a, super untrustworthy rogue, rogue nun who lived Most in a cave who turned into a demon yeah of and course. then built a housing complex over the cave there's <laughs> nothing sacred to you people um, want to visit that housing complex mm -hmm. but uh, no uh, with Odi uh, it's an Odu of the world. It is a very common Odu to fall. It is the problems of the world are found here. It is an Odu of gossip, of intrigue, of birth, of death, of fucking, of, of, of the many whole, things. Um, the whole telenovela of it all. Yeah, and I, there's a... Uh, <laughs> I like it said like that, telenovela. Um, I don't know if that's accurate, though, because that, that, that feels like the melodrama rather than the, just the, the quotidian... Uh, minor constants I mean on one level yes it, it exemplifies kind of the, the the drama of everything but that is life too like if we approach it take it one step back from that and just uh, and uh, look at it that there is again with the practicality of, of Arisha religion that it is going to point out the stuff we're trying to ignore that we pretend doesn't exist right so the drama of everyday life of going to work of, of you're late for work every day what does that mean like you know this uh, your your boss is going to talk shit about you because you're wearing a certain color because of, you know that per you know who knows, uh, but this right. is the the average things of everyday life mm -hmm. and deals with everything from indecision to pride to to betrayal mm -hmm. to to lust is all there. Odi has everything. I think they, I think it is in Odi. There's the because of the the looking of it looks like the vaginus the the symbol, uh, the geometric symbol and the Odu symbol. Uh, the song that is, I think it's sung in Gelede stuff as well, but um, where does the rich man come from? From the cunt. Where does the poor man come from? From the cunt. Um, <laughs> it's, it's referred to as the cunt song by anthropologists. This <laughs> is how they translated it. Um, but it's just this homage to how important the vagina is. <laughs> and that Odi is is the earth Odu. It is, as much as it is a, a connected to Yimonja, who is, is for us in the New World, a, 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 a oceanic deity, um, but water in general, because she is the Ogun River in Nigeria. Mm. And you know, people go back and forth on whether she's river or ocean. It doesn't matter for the fact that her essential qualities don't change of nurture, right. of she is the breast that nurtures and the hips that birth. Right. Um, she is the mother who never rejects. Uh, in Cuba, we, we say that we give all heads to Obatala because he created all heads and therefore can take them. In Brazil, they give all heads to Yemoja when they don't know. And they used to give all foreigners to Yemoja because there was no way they could have Arisha because they weren't ancestrally connected to Africa okay. so and they presumably came across waters as well and well everybody does because right. the dead so are on the yep, other side Yemaya must have allowed them to get here yeah so right. there's the thing of her heart is so big she would never reject anyone hmm. so I remember hearing a story from, from one uh, Santo who uh, she is I forget these and then she which is just she has black ancestry but she on Brazilian terms she's not black by any means uh, Brazil is very based on skin color for these classifications uh, not just ancestry and uh, when they told her that her head was marked for Yemanja, she was like, but I do have Arisha. I do, I do. Because she felt like 
being marked for Yom was the catch-all for people that didn't really have a reach or had no business being in the religion. Mm. So it's kind of like the same lackluster thing happens to a lot of people with, oh, your head is marked for Obatala. And people are like, really? He's so boring, you know? And it's like Obatala created the world. Obatala is the Orisha of dreams. Obatala is the Orisha of creative insight. Inspiration. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of amazing things about him. He needs help to get things going. He needs a lot of coffee and a lot of people to help him keep going on the fireside. But, um, you know, it's not a consolation prize. No Orisha ever is. Right. And this idea of medicine is its own thing. There is, for me, associated with Odi very heavily, there is a primary Osogbo, uh, or Ibi if you're using the Nigerian term, but uh, a primary ill aspect or primary ill luck. Um, bad pattern. Bad pattern. Because Osogbo are like the anti-gods. Right. Is, is how they become to be referred to. And disease. Disease, paralysis, loss. Uh, this type of thing. Araye. Araye. Also not just like uh, nat- uh, 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 natural as in like not human. Like gossip is, uh, can be, oh, yeah. I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's tied to Araye, which is, so Araye uh, is problems of the world. And Araye is a very hard osobo to describe for, for all of us. It, but there are several interpretations of it. One of them is, um, I believe is one that Bimbala described it as the body possessed by witches. Now that got me going on it because ara is body or people. Um, aye is the world, but aje can be witch. Um, and let's be clear, this is not self-selected witches. These are the amoral forces that preternaturally existed that came down and one can form alliances with them, but they know they owe no alliance to you. Right. Um, these are the, the West African idea of witchcraft is not on par with modern ideas in the West of witchcraft and to confuse the two does a disservice both directions. It does seem more useful to at least think about them coming from a very Western background as more like bird demons to an extent. They're not they're not just human and they're not originally human. Yeah, the, there's, there's a couple different layers here because someone who is considered a witch could just have so much natural power flowing through them that they're feared because they have Ajay power. Right. But the Ajay also exists independently of humans. And a human who has formed an alliance with them has also, it's, it's like forming an alliance with Orisha. It's, there's, there's, there's something going on there. It's um, Ajay that it doesn't originate with you. Yes. And so this idea that, you know, you could, it could very well be that you go into the woods and come back out a witch that's verified. But this would be done by power and uh, prestige. And then people would be very scared of you in certain areas. They'd hunt you down. Um, but that aside... The witches, on a very simple level here, we're talking about the metaphor of you plant your seeds in the field in the black earth, wanting to grow your hopes and dreams, and the birds come and pick at them. And the birds are the things you didn't foresee coming. So we can build scarecrows and build things, but those pesky birds, and it's anything that distracts you or your things from growing. Mm. So in some way, this araye, a body possessed by witches, Araye is being henpecked. Araye is Facebook. Araye is what happens on Facebook all the time. One person gets called out on something, all of a sudden, brap, brap, and everybody starts pecking on that little thing to get recognition or to be part of the in crowd or whatever it is. The gossip mill. It is the way the world works. Mm-hmm. You can't fight against it, really. If you go in there and try and save your reputation, help out a friend, you better come in with a lot of people because it's just going to turn around on you very quickly, mm-hmm. no matter what you do. Like you, It's almost impossible to change the tide once that, you got to wait for it to be done. But it is that henpecking. 
So a body possessed by things that are not important or at least not important for this thing. So I don't want to say the Ajay have their own agenda mm. and their own thing going on, but a body possessed by distraction. That distraction is fascinating to me. Like that, the stealing of, uh, of attention. Yeah. That's I, the, I'm distracting you from your goals. <laughs> you could be doing something profound uh, yeah. and now you are just attacking someone. Theft is the, is the main motif that binds the bird spirits of the European grimoires. Mm-hmm. It's, often stealing the magpie yeah stealing the king's riches uh, can bring things from someone else's house uh, or, or, or will take things or, or move well, because wealth is finite therefore right <laughs> oh yeah, yeah 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 so it's got to come from somewhere yeah. so they're already aware that they're not like conjuring gold but this notion of stealing like what you know uh, to, 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 to apply an allegorical layer to, to open it out rather than explain it away uh, what, is, what, is, what is the king's riches what is the, 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 the wealth of, of resource of our time a limited encircled time on the earth uh what it, yeah what are our, our resources what are our riches what are, what, are our, what do we have to to bring to bear our time and our attention the limits of the bag of wealth yeah uh, yeah which right which then opens as the as the bag of uh acquisitia or the two bowls oh, two bowls. Mm-hmm. Mm. um yeah and just to be clear i'm not saying that well these intrinsically always but I, I think that this Odu that provides all of this saltiness, salt water of <laughs> creation and just ah, mierda and chismosos and all these other things. Um, shit and shit talkers. Let me translate that. <laughs> um, I was just talking about someone with this the other day that, that chismoso is not the same thing in, in like you can translate it as shit talker, but shit talking in English doesn't have the same connotation. Because if I, now you can say, when you're a shit talker, the person will be like, yes, I am. In traditional Spanish, you, if someone calls you chismoso, that's like, I'm gonna, we're dueling tomorrow. Like, you've just insulted my family's honor, my honor. Like, no, you don't call me chismoso, no chismosa, nothing like that. But like, there's such a pride thing in it. Mm. Of like, <gasps> so like, yeah, people who make a career of it, you're just like, eh, chismoso. It's just, there's, no, that's a whole. But it's not a self-identifier. I mean, if it is, you got some other. That's some. It probably is now through American influence, but it didn't used to be. Notion shit posting. Yeah. So this type of person does it. Like it's like a self-identified troll. Well, yeah. That's great, but like it's one of the bad parts of the expedition of of Americanisms through Facebook, um, Liber AF. Um, <laughs> but the, I do think there is uh, an allowance that. I think in order to discuss the kind of broadness of Odi and the celebration of that it is everything in life, it is the Odu of the world, that Araye as the problems of the world are also connected to this Odu. So I don't want to have um, my godmother or my godfathers up there and be like, what are you telling people? And I'm just <laughs> like, this is based on readings and certainly uh, Abimbala was the one that translated it and it's a body possessed by witches. That's, what are you distracting yourself from? So perhaps speaking of not being distracted. <laughs> we can return to our own list of things. We've. Uh, what are you saying, Al? <laughs> I'm saying that there are beautiful dream-like qualities of inspiration, um, <laughs> long walks on short tangents that we're capable of doing. And speaking of dream and the dark reflection of, on dream, uh, it's apt perhaps to, to cycle or circle back to Obsidian and to consider its uh, lapidary law Mm-hmm. which uh, have two standards that uh, that I'm referring to now 
of uh, both Lakutos that are, are, are constantly big up, and also now uh, Francis Young's um, publication and, and transcription and translation of uh, the Peterborough Lapidary as well, which is fifteenth uh, century, fifteenth century, and yeah, there is a, a commonality there with Obsidian of um, the gift of prophecy, but also specifically that uh, those who wear Obsidian shall never have nightmares. Uh, or that things that come through dream will not harm you, mm-hmm. uh, which is the one that the other gives. So we have this notion not only of not seeing the bad or not on, or, or, or not being aware of the bad mm-hmm. or, or, or the bad not seeing you, uh, crucially the dream looking back, um, but also that something is already inherently considered to be coming through as a result of the dream, mm-hmm. but the, 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 the specification is that it can't harm you. Right. So this is interesting in terms of uh, are we unable to see misfortune or is it that in seeing it, we are uh, we are rallied against it and we are able to to move forward in an effective way. You reminded me of the, just the use of the scrying stone in the, in the, in the triangle of conjuration within goetic practice mm. of, um, uh, you know, I, I am older <laughs> and therefore got exposed to the lovely videos of the. Oh, <laughs> uh, was it? Ordo Templo Astate. I love those videos. They're fun. He, oh, um, bless him. Uh, um, oh, Astroth. I love how Uncle Poke uh, 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 pronounces the term martial art. These operations should be conducted with the same responsibility one would take with a martial art. With a martial art. <laughs> it is always in this type of voice. <laughs> It's a very early California wizened occultist. He's also got the kind of Troy McClure thing of like, he's reading a book and he's like, oh, hello there. Yes. <laughs> well. it's a, yeah, it's a little bit, uh, it's the, the the Bob Ross of yeah. the occult world. In his, um, in his sports jacket and, yeah. and polo neck. Now, the, the glowing popularity, growing popularity in that time period of getting rid of the triangle of conjuration as being to visible appearance and... Re- advocating for it being a scrying appearance mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and uh, several groups in, in California in that time, which was my very teenage years, of getting young boys to be the scryers or getting young girls to be the scryers. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, That's cool. And uh, those were often connected to the OTO, mm. those people, um, which I think of the divide in that time period, you kind of had Wicca <laughs> and you had OTO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you were a ceremony magician, you were involved with the OTO crown. If you were anything witchcraft related to Wicca in some form. Mm. Um, and some people cross those streams between the two. Right. But this was just early 90s uh, Southern California. Yeah. Um, this idea, though, that was very commonly expressed as a rule of thumb when using the scrying mirror, that you could look at your own reflection until the point that you knew the demon was there, and then you had to look away. You could never look at yourself in the eye in the mirror. Mm. Because if it looked back, it yeah. would come into you. Uh-huh. So there was no true safety if you were the scryer. And the only difference was that the young boy or young girl, by virtue of their innocence, right. cannot be entered mm-hmm. in the same way. There are some interesting notes in looking at why young people or why virgins specifically. And I think it's not just because purity. Mm-hmm. I think there is a notion of potential, of that there is a storehouse of of. of of potentia, of, of seed, uh, mm. but of also of this this blood life force energy, uh, Numa, that uh, is present and, and and 
it, the, the images themselves kind of, or the, the formation of the image draws on this virtue of, 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 of uh, being young and, 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 and this potential that one like burns parts of one's, I would say future, like it's your, your, your limited time, like you're making some kind of, mm, I would say Faustian, but, that is but like some kind of bargain. almost into the sexual innocence as far as men are concerned because of you containing that you have a storehouse of Adam inside you and right. that, that each generation does lose some of its virtue because of the distance yeah. from Adam, yeah. but that you have you until the last time, yeah. you have those men within you that are going to be in your descent, right. the children within you. So mm-hmm. if you haven't ejaculated at all, that therefore you have the entire storehouse and it is pure kept and transmitted from Adam. The minute you start ejaculating, you've started wasting, wasting the progeny of Adam, right. which is a whole other so side it, of it. Right. So it's less about, again, so back to Onan themselves, less about the inherent uh, wrongness of masturbation or of ejaculation and more that it, sap, that it goes against uh, the instruction to Onan. So he's disobedient rather than a pervert mm-hmm. uh, and that you are sapping. Porque no los dos? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Why not <laughs> So you're, yeah, the notion of sapping strength in much more of a kind of way comparable to some Taoist ideas about retention. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, all this can be backward justification and where you other know, sideways things, but right, 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 right. the interesting notion that we can justify this from whatever paradigm we're going through, but the, the idea of using young people under a certain age, mm-hmm. I think people were just on like a half hiccup there. Young people under a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of the, the skull damaru, which I believe is seven-year-old girl and eight-year-old boy skulls that are matched to do the the drum. Okay. The, so that you know, this idea that even the one that Shiva has in his hands, that the that each bang of the drum is another incarnation of the universe, mm. that that's actually how meaningless our current incarnation is, right. or another incarnation as a human, mm-hmm. if you're going to do like between girl and boy going back and forth. Yeah. Um, so obsidian within this realm, scrying mirror reflects so that you don't it doesn't see you. I, I find that interesting that concept of the demon not seeing you or you not seeing the demon mm-hmm. yet at the same time. Mm-hmm parallel to the idea that you, you, the nightmare doesn't see you back. Right. That this thing to the realm of dreams, which is a black mirror mm. and not a, oh, oh, oh it's not a, a silver mirror, I guess. Mm. Um, backed by Mercury. Yeah, backed by Mercury um, or Galadriel's mirror. But Obsidian's, it, again, it goes back to its qualities of being reflective, of being sharp, of, of being cool to the touch exceedingly. It is a glass. Um, it does heat up. Uh, there is also a famous Obsidian that is probably worth mentioning. Um, just because I know it stokes your own um, cholera. Let me um, turn to my notes. <laughs> this is the sound of Al's waterlogged notebook <laughs> of um, some people, you know, it's his Rolodex of improper history. <laughs> the shit list. Yeah, he's clearing, he's clearing the rotten is. offerings against the altar of history. Oh, um, I like that. <laughs> clear the putrescence. No, no. Well, I would... <laughs> I don't want to go that far, but I will say that I think it is worth us bearing in mind that the foundation upon which we think or we call the Black Mirror in the British Library, which is called either specifically Dee's Mirror or the Magical Speculum. Uh, <laughs> That's so sexy. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, May... The the, the, the the foundation for this actually being something that D used is not as strong as we might like it to be. Uh, so this this doubt about the veracity of it 
can really be found in two different kinds of uh, historical lenses that we can we can look at this thing. The first is that, as far as we're aware, the claim that this is Dee's mirror is made by Horace Walpole in 1771, uh, and he just makes this claim that as far as I'm aware, still not been verified that this is the black stone into which Dr. D used to call his spirits, right? So we already have this notion of, and I don't know if it's into which the spirit was called, it, to me rubs me the wrong way. Now this might be because Walpole himself was not super, uh, you know, uh, versed in what it meant to, to scry. So I'm prepared to accept that he might not have understood the, the technicalities of what was going on, but that's not quite what D was doing. Expressly, the the there's a couple of things that the, the stone does. And this also brings up things that Jan Vienstra talks about in Metamorphosis of Magic, about the uniqueness of English almondels in the 14th, 15th century, that uh, the difference between whether the spirit was in the stone or uh, attracted and around the stone. Uh, anyway, so, with the, so we have an unverified claim which was made so that Walpole could sell it, right? It doesn't turn up, the British uh, Museum doesn't acquire it until 1966, I think. And as I say, still not verified. The other issue is from comparing it to some notes that we do have from Dee. And uh, we're still kind of reliant on Christopher Whitby's excellent work on, on John Dee's actions with the spirits, where he points out that uh, it's not the same size as the thing that is received in, uh, in November. Uh, it's the 21st of November, 1582, right? So he, he, he does say that this stone, which the one that's delivered by angels supposedly and found on the windowsill mm -hmm. is uh, it is he says it's half an inch thick which suggests that it would be flat like the the stone but uh not only does the image that he draws of it because uh, you know he's a pr prodigious doodler as well uh in sloan 31 91 uh, it looks more like a sphere for a start now that's hard to to judge but it also doesn't have the handle it doesn't have the, the bit at the top which you wouldn't have added later right you, you, you can't uh so there's the fact that the the stone that people say was delivered by angels and found on the windowsill and was a, a, a the, you know he didn't see it initially because it was dark or because it was see-through mm -hmm. uh must be the the same one the dimensions don't add up uh the stone appearing on the windowsill was described uh quote as big as an egg most bright clean and glorious uh, roundish and less than the palm of my hand. Uh, and the black mirror is 22 centimeters high and has a diameter of 18.4 uh, centimeters. I looked up, mm -hmm. right? So it's it, the, the half inch uh, description does fit, but none of the rest of the, the descriptions do unless D had like massive hands, uh, which I, I don't think anyone ever commented it's on. <laughs> right. Now, when I was there last, whatever that was, last year, we the, did go to, I believe it was the College of Physicians. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Royal College just had, yeah. had its D exhibition thing. And they did have the mirror on loan from the British Museum. Mm -hmm. And they did not at that time claim that it was the Angel Stone. Mm -hmm. They actually highlighted another one as a possible of the Angel Stones, which is probably from excellent people like you going in and like, it's not that <laughs> Because they did say there were a number of scrying stones, excuse me, a number of seeing stones referenced in his work, and therefore he probably had many in possession. I think the last count I did, the potential when they're describing them is that there's at least, there's definitely at least three that they're using at any one time. Mm -hmm. And it could be that over the course of it, they used up to at least five. Uh, they seem to acknowledge that there were going to be several mm -hmm. and that there may be even more than was actually said because 
uh, if as we were talking about at the time because we was, I was there with a bunch of other mm-hmm. magically minded people um, I don't know why that accent came out uh, that's how I feel about British magicians uh, I don't know what that means either uh, nasal mm. it, it, yes it's, you know it's the it's the Mr. Uh, Norell uh, Mr. Norell <laughs> influence um, okay but that you know if you consecrate three things at once under the same consecration ritual because you actually have three of them that becomes the same stone in your head like there's the possibility exists of is it multiple or is it one or is it what it is and it's like we even had the comparison at the time of like there's multiple rocks in some of the Orishas but each one is that Orisha is the, and is the, is, is the stone and so it's this idea of collective but that was more of an imposition and a pondering on it because we're looking at these stones that are purportedly this one's given by angels and this one is definitely Aztec obsidian but there are many floating around from that time period that were Aztec obsidian because hello new world pirates let's right. go um, so yeah what we can draw on again to, uh, to to be the utter cheerleader of it is the records of scrying and conjuration 20 years before D by some of D's contemporaries and associates uh, John Davis and Humphrey Gilbert their excellent book of the art of magic which not only gives explicit instructions for at least two different stones, one of which can be used for all spirits, uh, but like they, they specifically mention unclean spirits, and one that should be only used for angels. Right. So you already have the like the clean stuff and the 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 the, the, the mm-hmm. one for doing dirty stuff with. On top of that, they also mention more implicitly that when you are doing your operations, part of the uh, conjurational hierarchy uh, expressed in uh, excellent book and uh, attested to in the scrying uh, journal of their visions is that they work through the four regents on the the four quarters the cardinal directions and they make note that you turn to each of the directions and each of the stones on the wall of your oratory or your uh, you know your spirit room right so from this kind of line or two along with the explicit instructions about what's to be engraved and not engraved on the, the good stone and the bad stone. And one of them's also like smaller and one of them's bigger as well, which I, I kind of think about like transferring to the big screen mm-hmm. uh, in, in some kind of way. Along with that, there's also this thing about you turn to the stone on the wall in each of the, the quarters. That interests me a lot, just in the sense that like on a hierarchical kick, that if you know a spirit will work under payment, mm-hmm. that the stone on the Western wall is that's the worked m- through payment. It's consecrated through payment yep. who can control anything that comes through it in the West. Yep. That's far more uh, practical. Yeah. When they, when they talk about spirits in, in the excellent book and, 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 and more so in the, in the visions, the main thing they detail is where the spirit came from and what direction it went in. That's the main thing. When we get, uh, when there's only a line, like it will usually be either uh, that it looked like some weird, uh, some weird rabbit with with uh, or uh, you know some weird animal, uh, a monstrous animal of some kind, backwards feet uh, commonly or weird feet. Uh, Flock of birds. Mm-hmm. Or birds without heads, uh, or or a bird with uh, wings uh, twitching on the ground uh, without body or any of the intermediary things, just the wings. Uh, it, it's it's what direction they came from and what direction they go in and how many times they they circle around and what they do. You're moving through this ecology of spirit. Uh, in, in, in the visions. I love the descriptions because it echoes more of my experience with the visions that come from working with these things more than the standard anthropomorphized let's all put things together as right. opposed to like why is this thing a head and abdomen floating in front of me? Right. Um, or a fleeting glimpse of a hand which seems to be you know streaming ribbons after it briefly 
uh, just across. It doesn't turn up and say, hello, I'm here. This is me. Very stable. Very, very verifying that this is definitely occurring. Uh, very, very, very uh, excellent for you taking a picture and, uh, and uploading it uh, well, and, again, and tagging me in it. Well, the idea of the spirit manifesting in the triangle versus the circle is the magician's boundary and the spirit can manifest everywhere else because you haven't changed anything. You've right. just protected yourself from the influence of the right. demon. And they expressly say they don't like being contained. Uh, you know, they change shape to do that. Interestingly, two of the spirits that change shape that turn up as birds initially are explicitly identified as the angels Ankor and Anakor, who, along with Anulos, are the three spirits uh, that are used in so many scrying operations it, at, at, to the extent that it's almost... Uh, the opening ritual for scrying. It's this begin. It's the, it's the first in a in a modular series of things in say, uh, the Cambridge Book of Magic. Again, another Francis Young uh, 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 translation and, uh, and, and and publication that you begin by asking these three spirits or these three angels to appear, and they do nothing but bring the other spirits in. It seems uh, they may even consecrate the thing itself before you bring in the intermediary spirit to do mm-hmm. the thing. So they are a form of, they are, they appear to be like systematically operative spirits or angels to scrying mm-hmm. and expressly angels. They, 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 they're called angels and, in, in, uh, and called uh, to bring their purity and their clarity to ensure that there is no falsehood. What's interesting too about the separation between good and bad is it does harken to other things we've already talked about, the walking through the role of being out of it, that mm-hmm. an angel doesn't, doesn't necessarily need to be separated from everything, but it helps its influence come. It is more pure of a message or a pure of a, a transmission right. if it is not tainted by that which has come before it. Mm-hmm. So that uh, is is an unclean spirit. In some ways, this this deals with like everything we talked about with with Mary of Egypt, as well as even pertains to the tarot card, the hermit mm-hmm. of retreating from society or the great fast that you're doing before doing these conjurations. That the study. Comes, that the illumination comes. You can turn your page. It's okay. But the, the idea that the that the hermit is a retreat into the self through wandering through the world, the mm. Dioscoridian um, search for one honest man. Mm. And the question is, is are you the honest man? Can like <laughs> we should start that search first. And it is a very Gandalf-like figure. It's gray, and there's you know in the in the kind of um, Rider Waite symbolism of the. It's definitely a six-pointed star, which. You know, yes, it's the light of God, but it's also the alchemical uh, shield of, of all four elements unified. And there's something, I don't know, that's, that needs to be celebrated. is not just the retreat for the sake of retirement from the world because of being tired of it, but the retreat as distraction and being able to return and join the world when you need to. Right. That you're actually, the hermit here is not a hermit who's in the woods stationary. The hermit is in search of something. And if that thing is found, what then? Right. So it's a little bit of that kind of chariots of fire thing. You're like, you've just accomplished what you wanted to in life. Like what now? Mm. And that is always the threat for the hermit of like, if you get, if, if the thing, if you retreated from the world because of things not being what you needed or what you wanted, how do you keep the search going? How do you keep it going? Or else does that become equally your prison? Right. Like, right. The, the, the mercurial aspects of it are fascinating, right? So if we take it as, as ruled by Virgo, uh, as it normally is. Uh, then we have that notion of like order and chastity and and, and 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 imposing this kind of regulation and these kinds of things. But what is left? What's in that Zarathustra, the spake Zarathustra moment? Once you achieve your enlightenment or your, your your grand revelation, what you have to go down into the world and and impart it. You have to 
learn the Moses has to come up the mountain. Right, right. You, you have to, yeah. You have to, you know, take two tablets with water uh, divided, <laughs> or three and smash one. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that, 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 yeah. You are produce. Yeah, you are. You are then having to. The the idea of the the other hand of the uh, the planet being the shadow of of of, of the of the first that mm-hmm. one needs to learn a bunch of Gemini communication skills. One needs to create one's own double in one's students. One needs to, to, to pass on that knowledge. And certainly the flowering staff, the staff that he carries mm-hmm. is, is likened to the, the staff of Aaron. Mm. And, um, uh, Oh, you do some lovely serpent tongue stuff yeah. with that then. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's so much there. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a, I think the hermit is one of those more accessible mysteries, but I think generally it can get, a not a bad rap, but, uh, an, a contextualized rap that makes it seem like hermitude is bad mm-hmm. as opposed to genuinely retreating into oneself to for the night it's what you do when you dream we're talking it's, it goes back to obsidian a little bit here mm. that, like what is the lantern that you carry what do you, what light do you carry with you into the depths of your dream world and the cognizance that can come out of that if we want to carry it into lucid dreaming there mm-hmm. the discipline required for that mm. or for some people no discipline at all they're just lucky but there is something to that of of it is not just retreat. It is searching. He is not in a prison cell or in a monastic cell somewhere. And it sometimes seems like that is the emphasis that is placed upon him right. by many modern diviners or many, and many modern uh, adherents to the tarot. Mm-hmm. And this idea of searching is far more profound. And even the Mary of Egypt thing of retreating into the desert, she's searching even harder now because all she has left is herself to look through. Mm. Um, so it becomes the restriction of, you know, it's almost like the, how every task expands to fill the time allotted. Every search expands to fill the space allotted. (laughs) So like, it's just, if I only have myself to search through, I'm going to start to find whole new aspects of myself that I can't run from. Mm. And the hermit has this really interesting dynamic relationship with that. Mm. And certainly with Virgo is, there is the, the fruitful harvest born by the Virgin, right? And you have the relationship with Spica there as a fixed star. But the idea, again, intactness or completion apart from a man. So we can take both definitions of Virgin here mm. as woman who does not need a man to be complete, mm. as well as pre-sexualized woman, mm-hmm. um, both as containing more potential and uh, less distracted by the attentions of the outside world right the cult yeah i, I think about the the cultivated seed and and that notion of, of initiation as seed and or the vestal virgins of tending the fire mm. of keeping the hearth burning um and and this notion and this carryover into uh, abbesses and, and 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 nunneries of catholicism and this tending the fire going back to the bridget and things like that so returning to bridget i mean going Back that she precedes it, though in you know Bridget myth, yes, I'm sure she precedes everything. Um, I think what's interesting, carrying off of Hermit, we had planned. You know, this was an episode that we kind of planned to kind of tailor through all these other things. I do think it's worth hitting on Theresius just for mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the, depending on how historical we want to be about saying literary, uh, you know, historical literary, it, there is a history yes. of him being in in a literary tradition, yes. uh, which is kind of a, a cheat of, of uh, why don't English departments and history departments talk to each other more? Um, uh, the the necromancy of Homer, uh, as it's famously called, is based around Odysseus attempting to 
raise a spirit, specifically the spirit of, of Tiresias, to give him information, a, a, a blind and dead seer uh, who is called forth and to whom blood is poured into the pit, from whence we get an awful lot of the uh, the reconstruction of Hellenic uh, necromancy mm-hmm. and the, the sword is held over the, uh, the the bloody pit to prevent other spirits getting at that blood until Tiresias turns up, which is an interesting version of uh, less compelling and more ensuring that the circle is not broken until one wants it to be, mm-hmm. until it is broken by the... The feast is laid for he who was invited. Right, 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 right. And until the, he has had his fill, mm-hmm. but the idea in a lot of necromantic traditions that what is left over is free for grabs, have mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Land spirits at, at all. Mm-hmm. The red feast, the white feast, gods, demons, friends, lovers, enemies. That uh, that yod of, of the hermit uh, being the one that gets through the oven wall as well, mm-hmm. interests me, to the center, yeah. to, the, to the fruitful... Uh, Growing of the the seed into a a person thing, mm. <laughs> that whole thing, <laughs> yeah, that whole humaning. Uh, so we have a blind seer, uh, which obviously is its own kind of trope. Uh, eyes in the other world, and it's that other version of, of of a leg or both legs planted somewhere else that you are not quite here. The that you may have second or even third now, sight. In the origin of Tiresias, he's not born blind. Oh yeah, to my that's, memory, it's a very good point. To my memory. It is actually a gift that they take his <laughs> eyes because of another slight that was committed against him. And because of this, his eyes are taken and he's now given the gift of prophecy. Oh, that old guy. That old thing. Who is, like, let's face it, is the bro of the Pantheon. Well, he is and he isn't. I mean, he's also transformed into a woman for seven years. No, I don't mean Tiresias. Oh. I, mean, I mean Apollo. Oh, Apollo. Apollo's totally the frat brother of the whole thing. He's like, you know, he's very Jersey Shore. He just is, I don't know if it's because of virtue of being the young boy, but he's very, you've got like uppity granola Artemis and, <laughs> you know, this kind of drunken party pretty boy who everybody, male, female, and plant wants to sleep with. Mm. And, you know, the only thing that outdoes him is his little brother, Hermes, tricky little brother right? yeah who steals and he's like well that's not on the plate you can't steal i was given that you know um but it's interesting the whole it's the prophecy side of it is still harder for me to wrestle but you know mm. i'm not i'm not as delving into greek things i understand that the, the python aspect and right. that light itself is connected to knowledge but it's interesting that this uh poetry beauty and all these things are is there so there's an interesting thing about uh what the ghosts can can see as well that uh, in the, the the giving of the blood, because Tiresias is, is such a great seer, he can see Odysseus, the one summoning him. But his own, like Odysseus's mother, can't until she's she's drunk the blood. So there's not just so it's again this thing about not just like you being able to see the spirits, but the spirits being able to see you, mm-hmm. right? And you being able to interact with the dead and them know that you're doing that uh, is, is is really interesting to me as well. And and, and again another one of those um, invisibility is. Uh, operative spirit work like turning the mirror away from you slightly or not looking at the demon in the eyes when it appears in the mirror mm-hmm. of like it can't see you unless it makes complete eye contact but it knows something's there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the call is coming from inside the house right I think of that those smoking mirror mysteries around uh, you know Geisen doing the the staring into the mirror thing yeah. and just being handed joint after joint after joint uh, if we're talking like you know slightly at least apparently facile comparisons of a smoking mirror but the idea of eventually there just being nothing right that you keep staring and, and you know, talk about that and stripping away ego kind of stuff. But the idea of the, the horror being the, 
either the horror of the absence of yourself mm-hmm. or the absence of self at all, or or a creative void from which everything can 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 uh, you know spout and we can go all all capital Q quantum about mm-hmm. the thing. That the um, the various beliefs about using uh, eyes liquefied as the the rub for seeing stones and things like that mm-hmm. also interesting just to note that like the pupil is a black mirror mm-hmm. and that you appear, something appears upside down in it which also reckons it to the underworld mm-hmm. of where things walk upside down and it's <laughs> it's an interesting additional thing there that could you stare into the eyes of a magical partner and, and invoke each other's dead or invoke your own dead through your eyes and see what's said and done uh, certainly fruitful to think about uh, perhaps foolhardy to actually do. That's up, that's up to you and your gods, um, or godparents. Um, but yeah, I, I think Teresius is an interesting one, just because there's so many. Again, what we talked about, you have an example from literature that truly inspires, gives an idea at least about popular notions of what necromancy was, if right. not the actual technology itself. Right. So it becomes um, that you can argue about, well, we have no idea if this was actually how things were done. But at a certain point, it becomes the discovery of witchcraft principle, right? That, like, even if he completely made up everything that he did in that book, mm-hmm. now people are going to go, oh, that's how you do it. And it becomes standardized after that point. Yeah. How is it that Masonic lodges all practice very similar things now? Because of Expo Day, Expo Days, Expose is done on certain lodges mm-hmm. that then people said, but we're not going to be considered legitimate unless we follow that horrible you know, version that was done there. The asshole. Yeah, so... It, yeah, exactly. The the Ason of, of of Haiti of of not all houses being uh, Ason lineages, and then anthropologists going in there and reporting on a few Ason lineages, and then everyone going, "Wait a minute, I'm not legitimate now if I don't have this thing that only exists in this small area." So now everybody's got to have that too, right? Um, and the, now the, the difference there between with you know outsider anthropologists getting to define what insiders have to do to be seen as as legitimate or or proper. I think can be distinguished from stories and drama utilizing the popular conception of folklore of the figure of the witch of of, of what necromancers do of what spirits are. It can, and it, but I don't know if it's as separate as my Western mind wants to make it at first, for the reason that the the traditions do have an inherent economic need to make sure that they're legit, mm-hmm. but. Also, the popular conceptions of what witchcraft are now do influence authors as how to present to their audiences. Yes. So the Salem aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, the TV show uh, is because the TV show doesn't seem to influence the town's uh, aesthetic of things um, that I know of. Um, <laughs> but the, the TV show has a certain idea and that certain people are starting to kind of go after that visual of richness, visual richness of things and like mm-hmm. certain spell types and things that are going there and people mm-hmm. looking for what they see on TV. Thank God we're past the charmed era. Um, however, those things do influence a right. lot of styles in a very interesting, people want that witchcraft. And you go, well, no witchcraft requires you to go through this degree graded system mm-hmm. for 20 years. Okay, well, that's mm-hmm. that system, but... But many of these, you know, meandering tributaries like merge again. And the that which is taken off in a, in a weird angle because someone produces a... Uh, you know, a play in which witches act in a particular way mm-hmm. that then becomes used as actual, uh, as, as, as having no access to anything else. Yeah. And like, well, all right, we'll try this, see if this works. Yeah. Uh, so that this, this notion of, um, of not just um, doing it because it's, it's pop culture and, uh, and, and, and you're a, a chaos iconoclast, 
but because yeah. that's that's all that's all there is. Right? Yeah, that's it's what we're talking about exactly with this: that taking literature and looking at it as the example, the only example that we have, unless you want to um, resurrect some or necromantize, necro romanticize um, <laughs> right. uh, your experiments into looking at calling up the magicians that, that could that the goists that were doing these things. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that's filtered through your own brain and expectations and lets you know all, all spirits lie, um, <laughs> especially when there's money or offerings involved. And these are the things that we navigate and that particularly interests me about the history of necromancy and the necromancy of history is, you know, as, uh, as Peter Gray says, you know, witches should know both the power of myth and history and not confusing them. Yes. And us, it's just the idea between... Um, History is never true. Right. Right. It is It is this idea of sacrificing it on the altar of truth. Like, it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It, history is an account and an interpretation. It's digging a hole that gets bigger <laughs> of all of the ways that we can be informed, be, be educatedly ignorant. It's the diviner's nightmaric web. <laughs> uh, like, it's just, it's just so many things start connecting to everything and it becomes so like... But, it's almost like trying to psychologize the, his- the past mm. of like, what motivated this and what motivated this, what motivated this. Mm-hmm. Whereas myth is true. Mm. Myth is inherently true in the sense of it conveys truth. That's the point of myth. Um, it's not quantifiable. It's not logos. It's mythos. And it's this, kairos. Yeah. yeah it's, so we have used it as a devalued word, but it is the opposite. Right. That, that myth becomes embodied in logos and therefore is more finite. But... There is no inherent, when we treat myth as logos, this is our problem. When we start to say, well, there's this conflicting chapters in Genesis of what this is, then we have to have Midrash that goes in and says, well, this is the reason between these two chapters. Not saying that's a specific example, but the idea that in this Odu and in this Odu, Yemaya is married to Ogun here and she's married to Obatala here. She couldn't have been married to both. Oh, yes, she could have. It's a myth. <laughs> and it's codified here. And she lived multiple lifetimes anyway. So let's get, you know, like this is right. it's Greek myth of like, Hecate's parents are something here and there's something else here. Right. Well, they're both true because they're both myths. You know, it's fine. What's the mythic reality that's trying to present? Right. Um, it's the signification. Yeah. And certainly pleased. And, you know, it's each person tells slightly different truths in their story of their lifetimes as they go on. This is part of who it is. We shape our identities based on the current history. We tell ourselves and the one we remember, just as we know with all memorizing and uh, all mem- memory itself, not memorizing, but the, the Mandela effect that does happen, that we start to remember alternate histories that never existed, because we've also told ourselves alternate histories that never existed so many times that the brain remembers that as the truth mm. and starts to influence us very subtly into other things. So it's the thing of, you know, it's the excuse when someone starts having a breakdown, we're like, but I did do that thing. It's like, I believe you think you did that thing. <laughs> we just know you didn't. Mm. Um, so it, it becomes a, a, a very hard road to walk. I think, you know, just summing it up, I don't think we're going to get to dirt sorcery because no. uh, we kind of talked about mirror magic, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool. Yeah, that was nice. Um, I think the thing that strikes me about Alo's Wood and Ud, just to kind of bring it back, because this kind of touched on it with Mary of Egypt, mm-hmm. but it has the same sense of blackening to, to make something profoundly uh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So Mary of Egypt is is blackened by the sun, by her own sins, and then exudes this sweet fragrance of, of saintliness. Um, Aloe's wood is infested, I believe, by a parasite, and as a reaction creates a resin that makes the wood one of the most fragrant, most beautiful, and most expensive substances in the world. Mm. 
And it is a scent still somewhat unknown in the West. Um, there are a few, it is becoming more popular in the last few years. In fact, uh, if you're looking for uh, an American uh, oud house, uh, House of Orpheus is mm-hmm. doing uh, a lot of perfumes. really gorgeous oud-based scents. Mm. Um, and I'm, a, I'm not going to tell everyone my favorites, but I'm a huge fan of gin, serif, and charutu, um, personally. And the Cyprian perfume is, is not an oud base, but it's it's a it's an interesting smell. I like the Verum one, which I was very kindly gifted, uh, <laughs> because uh, I was I was it, it's based on the ingredients for I believe the I want to say the Circle consecration. It's based on one of the consecratory incenses for working Verum, mm-hmm. and there have been several occasions when, along with burning those things, I've been told to wear that for doing nice. particular things. So the idea of like, what is the circle that is cast uh, mm-hmm. around you? What is your what is your aura? Well, your olfactory aura can be can be very carefully yeah. uh, 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 cast. Mm-hmm. Good quality oud is extremely expensive. It is a traditional thing to burn in many uh, Muslim and Arab houses. Uh, it is um, the smell is intoxicating. Mm. Um, it is something that matures with age. Um, it is again, it's not something that most Western noses are used to experiencing so they always go what is that smell <laughs> you tell them like what what is that i love this notion of it being something that the plant does as a reaction right rather than what it does naturally or what some or what the what the the say the parasites or the bugs do themselves mm-hmm. and this puts me in mind of a lot of the the things about uh, herbalism and and you know the um pharmacokinetics of uh intoxicants and 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 quote unquote entheogens mm-hmm. or just entheogens fair enough uh, that it's it's a it's a po- it's it's a poke yeah unquote um, it's a poke of your brain meats and your uh, soul parts to do a thing it's a it's a prompt mm-hmm. right that that whole notion of uh, what is it uh, LSD leaves your system within an hour and the rest of it is all you like processing processing and doing what, what the- whereas mushrooms rewrite your brain right <laughs> um, that was whispered. Mushrooms are better. <laughs> but the point of uh, to, to 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 do a less kind of like uh, sensationalist example that like you are doing you know with with herbal medicine often you are doing something to prompt the body to do it. It's not you're not placing all your faith in the materia to you know course around your body, putting band aids on things, and, and 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 spontaneously generating health. You are rebalancing. You're and reestablishing you, an equilibrium. Right. And you are, right, that eucrasia, that good mixture. And crucially, you are not, the plant isn't doing that. You, your body's doing that. The body is seeking the homeostasis mm-hmm. uh, and the equilibrizing uh, tendency in a dynamic system. Right. It's, it's why a, if you eat crap food, it's never going to work. Right. Right. It is interesting to compare it to something like gall. Mm, another blackening. Another blackening, but something similar that the, the tree responds in a certain a certain way um, creates a gall and then we use that primarily to make something like ink mm. um, which is uh, very important for, for many of the, <laughs> the literati uh, magicians of the world uh, I find that interesting too the, the, this reaction of a plant the sacredness of gall itself both for cursing because of its blackness and the attack of the insect but can that be transmuted into something else um, similar to Alice Wood here that the infestation becomes something that exudes sweetness right and that through giving that back to fire back to deity in mm-hmm. that way because it's a burnt offering mm-hmm. there is something profound in this it's calcined yeah mm-hmm. it's purified 
that it's made white through its blackness and it's offering mediation mm. by fire. Right. Um, so Mary of Egypt's breath is sweet once again. Mm. I think that's a pretty good place to end. Yeah, I think so too. I think so um, too. Thanks for bearing with us. Thank you for the wait. It has been a very busy February and March. Yeah. Um, but uh, glad to be recording again and we'll see how this experiment of recording on the Saints Day as opposed to worrying about getting it out for the Saints Day it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we should be back for the Feast of St. George Yeah, uh, by April 23rd. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much and uh, anything else Aloysius? I can't think of anything in particular. I mean we'll, we'll fill the, the show notes hopefully as well uh, at, at, at some stage. We are still in the process of working out how to do those but we thank you for bearing with us and we hope that in putting those out we'll be able to um, inspire listening to it again and getting more things out of Foster discussion and, yeah. and go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, look for us on www.radiofreegolgotha.com and please check us out on Facebook. We do post other things besides just the links to the episodes there. Right. And, uh, please feel free to discuss anything you find on a, on a link there. And uh, if there's something you think that we should be reading or be uh, looking out for, we are always interested in expanding our uh, library's knowledge (laughs) and uh, discourse on many topics. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Uh, Happy Feast of St. Mary of Egypt. Uh, We are in the last week of Lent. So uh, if you get this before Holy Week ensues... uh, May all your passions be bloody.